The light is green. We are going to cue the intro. At Coco Talk, we'd like to thank the patrons who sponsor our show, so our heartfelt gratitude goes out to Al Hartman, Alan Murphy, Alan Huffman, Amigos Retro... I just screwed up. At Coco Talk, we'd like to thank the patrons who sponsor our show, so our heartfelt gratitude goes out to Al Hartman, Alan Murphy, Alan Huffman, Amigos Retro Gaming, Blair Ledoux, Brendan Donahue, Brian Weasler, D. Bruce Moore, Davey Mitchell, Diego, Eric Canales, Gren Hewlett, Graham Vebke, Grant Leedy, Henry Strickland, Jason Downs, Jenna Farron, Ken Reichert, Kyle Etter, Malfunk, Michael Pitsley, Rick Eulett, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Paul Thayer, Rob Inman, Stephen Wagner, Steve Batson, Steve Rasmussen, Terry Steen, Terry Steggy, The Backyard Shed Gang, Tom C., Tom S., Tim Lindner, and Tony C. Thank you ever so much, patrons. Coco Talk is an unscripted live broadcast. Anything can and will happen. The views and opinions expressed by members of the panel and the live audience are their own and not necessarily those of the Coco Talk show, its sponsors, affiliates, or subsidiaries. Open minds encourage, sense of humor recommended. If any off-color comments were made, we're sorry. David Ladd reference there. Good afternoon, everybody. Happy spring and welcome to Kennedy the world's leading live talk show featuring blah, blah, blah. We're here with episode 204. We've got, uh, we got our panel. We've got a special guest. We've got something very super cool to talk about today and to show off. So we'll go around the room, say hi to the panel, starting off with Alan Murphy. Hello, Alan. Thank you for being here. Howdy, howdy, everyone. Happy spring. Our resident Apple guy, excuse me, Atari guy, didn't want to offend you there, but our resident Atari guy, Sloopy. Hey, Sloopy, hang on. How you doing, man? <laughs> Greetings and sanitations. And salivations right back to you. And Rick Eulens here. Hey, Rick. Howdy, folks. You know him. You love him. We got a guy by the name of... Nick Marotta. How you doing, Nick? Doing okay. Glad to be here. We're glad to have you. Our re now, I don't want to confuse the Apple and the Atari. Two distinctly, individually different, but both crappy machines. But our resident <laughs> Apple guy, Mark Overholzer, is here. Hey How there. Glad to be here. All righty. Brian Weasler's here. Um, and the reason why we were only three hours last week is because Brian wasn't on to show us his latest acquisitions. So. <laughs> Brian's uh. here. 
Hello, hello. Yes, our foreign correspondent, L. Curtis Boyle, has joined us. How's it going, eh? Hello, everyone, eh? The uh, the guy who makes things with toggle switches, the Cocoa Man himself, Jason Reichert, is here. Hello, Jason. Hello, hello. And I think if Brian Weasler has acquisitions this week, this might be a two-parter episode. <laughs> well, we did have a giant uh, time change, so we did gain an hour. So, uh, we got Mister Bringing Sexy Back, Grant Leedy's here. How you doing there, Grant? <laughs> He's muted, and he sounds better muted. We prefer Grant. Yeah, muted. yes, um, yes, indeed. <laughs> blah 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 blah. There he is. Is that better? Unfortunately, no, no, no not it's not. Really, no, because no. now we can no. hear you. Yes. <laughs> hey, I bring sexy back. Don't forget it. That's right, Brian. Well, they won't take it back unless you kept the receipt. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear Lord! And uh, the Brian, the music man, Shoebring is here. Hey, Brian, how are you? Okay, That's, he's doing that well. James Diffendaffer is here. Hey, James. Hey, I just want to give a shout out to all the Coloradans that are barbecuing on this meatless day. Okay, there you go. From <laughs> down under, the thunder, the guy who likes to say, Oh, crikey. It's Nick Morantes. Good eye, Nick. <laughs> oh, crikey. Yeah, good eye. <laughs> and we do have, um, and, and I'm not even referring to Jay yet. We'll save Jay for last. We'll save the best for last. But let me just say this. Stop right there. We've got a special guest who goes by the name of... David Ladd. David, are you excited to be here today? Why, yes, Stevie. Is everybody ready for today's train wreck? <laughs> I'm sure everybody watching is. So let's get this train wreck going. Ooh, yes. Okay. So uh, we do have a special guest today who... Um, has got something to show us as well, but I thought we would first just introduce our guests and maybe play a brief game of This Is Your Life. But thanks for being here, Jay Cyril. How are you? I'm good, Stevie. How are you guys? Good, good. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining us today and sharing your latest update. So, um, yeah, I guess tell us a little bit about what you used to do back in the day and, and what you're doing nowadays. Uh, well... I started back when I was, I don't know, my early teens, I guess, with the uh, Color Computer 2. I think I ended started with a, I want to say a 32 kilobyte one, and then my mom got it upgraded for me. And then, uh, like most people, I went on off into the IBM uh, compatible world for a long time. Um, and then about... I know it seems like a long time now. I'm going to say maybe 10 years. I decided to start collecting uh, cocos. And then I decided, you know what? I really liked apples when I was a kid. So I started collecting apples. And then I said, you know, I really did even ever see a Commodore, but they look cool too. So I started collecting <laughs> them. <laughs> so <laughs> the beginning to sound like an addiction here. Yeah. So I have a That's whole okay. room full. I guess someday if you guys want me to show you, I will. Whole room yeah. full of uh Commodore stuff, Apple stuff, Cocoa stuff, uh, along with a bunch of my other hobbies. It's basically my hobby room. But uh, anyway, so then I had never really done much other than basic programming when I was a kid, uh, just because there wasn't a lot of information. Like, I didn't even know there was such a thing as, uh, you know, a um, assembler cartridge you could get for it. I didn't even know that even existed. So then I start uh, looking at assembler once I got back into the Cocoa. Uh, I was doing it on uh, Cocoa mostly, just because it was a more compact pack 
uh, platform, easier to plug into a TV type thing. So did that for a while and then um, tinkered around a lot, started get looking at a CMOC, CMOC uh, C compiler, playing around with that a little bit. And then last year before the pandemic, well, I guess as the pandemic was hitting us, uh, the Cocoa Crew put out a thing on um, Facebook for basically a test or I'm sorry, a contest for uh, programs or projects or whatever for uh, Cocoa Fest. So I entered in that and I made a uh, fairly small, simplistic, uh, like a farming style game, like a farm town style game. Oh, this Did it is about like a two pack of adapters. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, sorry. That was Jason. Should have been oh. muted. Yeah. We I was uh... muted. Thank you very <laughs> oh. much. <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, made that in about two weeks, and then of course we all know that uh, you know Coco Fest got canceled. So, um, and then a few months later, probably I'm going to say maybe around uh, August, I think uh, Brett Gordon was on Coco Talk, just showing off a real early version of a um, server type system that he was developing that he wanted to make a game with. Uh, and I saw that episode, and I hit him up, and I asked him if he wanted some help doing that, coming with ideas and programming the game piece of it, and he said sure. And uh, so him and I have been working since then uh, on what you guys are going to see today. That's cool. That's cool. So I rem <laughs> I remember that when I met you in person at the first Tandy Assembly, and I don't mm -hmm. know I don't know how we knew each other from before, but I remember a couple of very distinct things. You said. Man, you're like taller in person than I thought you would be. <laughs> and yeah. I, and I was like, okay, I've never heard that before. But the other thing I thought that was really interesting was um, was uh, Boise remembering you. It was like, wait a second. Yeah. You're, 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 you're Jay Cyril. And Boise had remembered that somebody wrote a yep. review on Amazon about his book and criticized something about it. It's like, wait a second. You're that guy who wrote that review about me on Amazon. And aren't you know, you? the best part about that was, the best part about that was, he pulled that up out of his reviews in about 10 seconds. Like he had boom, boom, boom. He's like, yeah. Like you said, it was, that was great. Oh, that was awesome. Yeah. That was that, that was, was that was a that was a fond And memory. you do look shorter on camera than you did in real life. So. <laughs> <laughs> because he's sitting down. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's just the angle of it. But yeah, when I saw him, I'm like, wow, he was really tall. <laughs> well, I can say the same about you. You're no, uh, yeah, you know, you know, yeah. oompa loompa yourself. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, we were following the progress of your farming thing. We were showing off all your demo videos and stuff as that was coming along. That was looking really neat. Uh, I was I was really enjoying that. Have you, is, yeah. that, is that still around? Is you thinking you might? I still have it. Actually, yeah. I think I sent you a copy of the disc on uh, Discord. Oh, shoot. In our private chat. Okay. But that was a while ago. Anyway. Okay. Yeah. yeah I unfortunately. <laughs> dropped the ball there. I unfortunately there. <laughs> had lost, uh, I lost, or I'll say misplaced the uh, source code. Mm. Not sure what happened to it. I built a new computer in between then and now and not quite sure what happened with it. But anyway. I do still have the disc itself with the program, so it's still available okay. to be played. Okay, cool. Yeah, that was what was it? Was neat. it completely completed, or did you still have some other plans for it? Um, no, I basically got to the, the end of the two weeks, and I got to a point. I don't know. I was running into what I thought were starting to be memory glitches, where I might have been using too much program memory, mm. and maybe eating into the uh, screen memory. I wasn't quite sure, and. Uh, 
basically I was at a point where it was complete to the point where I was willing to submit it for the contest. And that's pretty much, I never really did much after that. Okay. But I mean, it was, it was a complete game as far as, uh, you know, what it ended up being. Yeah. It was neat to, to watch the progress on that, to follow your vlogs and stuff. It's pretty cool. All right, so tell us about Legends of... How do I pronounce this? Alcaron? Alcarin. Alcarin. Legends of Alcarin. Tell us about this project. And Well, I kind—I guess I told you a little bit already uh, how I kind of got in hold of Brett. Me and Brett had met at that same Tandy assembly that you were talking about. Mm -hmm. um, that was the first time I met him. Um, so we knew each other a little bit from that. And then uh, we kind of just talked about it and seen what he wanted to do. And he basically told me, hey, I want to basically build like a multiplayer online system that you know a bunch of people can get on play at the same time and then use the coco as a client i was like okay that sounds cool <laughs> so i said to him well what do you want to do he's like well i'm going to handle the server and a lot of the the uh coco low level stuff and you handle the game stuff I'm okay like, sounds great divide and which conquer. is kind of what i yeah mm. it's kind of like what i told when i when i first um when I first contacted him, like, hey, I don't know a whole lot about the server part, but I can probably work on the game part for you. So anyway, we moved along at that, and we got pretty far down the way, and then we ran out of memory on the Coco. Well, I'm going to say ran out. Ran out of 64K memory on the Coco. So Brett went into a memory organization uh, sub-project, I guess I'll call it, which took, uh, for different reasons, not just because of that, a uh, few months to get us through that portion. That was till about October, I guess. And then uh, maybe November. We got through that and we reorganized the memory. So essentially now we have, um, we use two 64 uh, kilobyte memory pages. The first page of memory is what we call a common area. And that has basically everything in it that uh, the program might need at any point in time. And then the rest of the first page is all of most of our graphic assets and then the screen buffer and then the second page also has obviously the same common page because it's common and then all of our program code that's non basically non-graphics related so that's where we're at now as far as the the memory map and like i said that took a while to get turned around um for different reasons like i said but uh we got back on track probably november ish um and kind of got to the point where we are now, right now. Okay. And you're going to show us? Yeah. Right. You're so let me see if I share. can yeah, get my share here. Um, this one. Share. Okay. You guys got you, that? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah, let me see your desktop. Okay, so I just want to, um, I guess I'm just going to, real quick, I don't know if any of you guys have watched the previous videos I put out in the game, one or two I put out, but essentially the way it works is, um, I use PowerShell, but it really doesn't matter what you, what you want to use. You got to start up a DriveWire instance to run on your computer. Um, I use Pi DriveWire. That has to be running, it, it, the, whole, the whole game requires DriveWire because of the interaction. Um, and then when we start the game up, So, but I my, I compile it every time because I have the code. But obviously, you won't have to do that every time. But when it starts up, <laughs> once I get to this next step here, give me a second. I want to miss it. Okay, so if you see here back here, this is our this is what 
is the output of our Galaxy server. Okay. Which is what the uh, PC-based part of the um, interaction is. So essentially, the Galaxy server is um, it's actually written in C, but then implemented a lot of it's implemented in Lua, and uh, it essentially handles all the transmission of information between the Coco and itself for the the game to run essentially. So that's that, and it just all the stuff you're seeing go by now. This is just a uh, three-second counter that does some things in the game. Right now, it's just counting, but um, and this basically just I can use it as debugging. Pretty much is what we use it for right now. Uh, I'm not sure what the final um, you know output will be for the server itself, but right now I use it for a lot of debug information just to make sure that if something doesn't look right or whatever, I can uh, I can. Uh, you know, come in here and try to maybe turn on something to, to look at it and see if we can figure out what's going on. So anyways, as you guys saw when I started this up, um, it said press S for step. So I set, uh, press the S. Gets us into this Galaxy setup, which obviously you can see is still on the Coco. Hmm, yeah. um, right now, right now it has four options. It's going to have at least one more, and I'm sure it will go other some other aesthetic changes. It's pretty uh, utilitarian right now, but... Essentially, the way this works is um, there's two drivers you can use. You use the, the DW Becker driver, which is for using DriveWire um, with MAME, or I shouldn't say MAME, but an emulator. Yeah. And then uh, we have DW.driver, which is if you're actually running it on a Coco with a wire. Uh, the connect string, um, basically, it's like a typical modem connection string from back in the day, I guess you would, call, you would say. Um, and localhost, if you have the server running somewhere else, you can change that to the other, you know, that IP address to hit. And 7000 is the port that we're using for the communication. <clears throat> and right now there's only one user and password, and that's Anon, which is just short for anonymous. And as you can see below, if you do change these settings, you can save, load, and then reboot to, uh, you know, um, try your changes or see your settings or whatever, so. But I'm going to leave that that way because that's the only setting that works right now in for uh, users. I'm going to execute this again and let it go through. It will fall through the uh, setup after like three seconds. Okay, and we can okay. see in the background your Galaxy server just did some stuff there too. So we yeah, can see some basically of your... gave me a bunch of debug output telling me yeah. what got loaded in and, and uh, information about the tables that it occupies and what's been put in each table, that kind of thing. Super helpful. Yeah, and my handy timer is still timing along. So you can see the game starting up here, and you'll see some status. So until this Adon was loaded successfully, Adon's spells were loaded, Adon's items were loaded, Adon's gears were loaded. Blank was loaded. <laughs> I love this. These graphics are so cool, man. And then it says, uh, welcome, Doc Harn. Don't eat the toads. So, <laughs> Good <laughs> advice for everyone. Don't that eat is, the yellow snow is. either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can Brett, lick them. Brett, but, uh... Brett put that in from as soon as I picked the name and we call, we decided to call it Doc Harn. Don't ask me why I picked that name. I just thought it sounded like a cool fantasy name. So yeah. I guess that's why I picked it. But anyway, um, he added that and it's been there ever since. So I, I have no idea this. quite what it means, but. It's great so, advice at any rate. So. <laughs> right, right. Actually, I actually tinkered with an idea of maybe somewhere putting some kind of Toad-related thing in the game, but haven't got to that point yet. So there's essentially um, two pieces. You move around the map, obviously, with right now with the arrow keys. 
And right now it's set up so that it's set up for a very simple battle mechanic, which I'll show you here in a little bit. But there's essentially two, two menus that uh, you can get into. You can get into what I call the main menu or that battle menu by virtue of going into a battle. So first I'm going to bring up the main menu. So this shows your uh, character um, attributes, I guess is the best word. And you can see there, I think most of them are probably self-explanatory. CN is constitution. And uh, yeah, speed. Do you have all the amendments to the constitution as well? No, 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 no. <laughs> and uh, obviously your experience and then uh, the Arm gold. Armor class, hit points. Yep, MP, yeah. magic points. Okay. Your uh, DX is dexterity, that yeah. type of thing. Yep, yeah. yep. Yeah. And then above that, you can see it shows your level, and then uh, warrior is your class, and squire is your your uh, level within that class. Uh, and then off to the side here is a menu, which I can move around and check out. So if I wanted to, I can go into spells, and this is going to show me what spells I have um, available to me. And right now, uh, you can see that the heal spell, which is lighted up, and the X's there are just right now for me for testing for length of words. So that's why that's there. Okay. So I, I have to limit it to get everything to set up properly. So that's why it's, you'll see X's in some of these things. Char just like, because it's, it's for character placeholder, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Um, you can see the cost for it is 100. So if I try to heal myself. Hold on one second. All right. Let me unmute you, Jay. Uh, we're getting we're getting some noise here. How do I unmute you? Can you unmute yourself, Jay? Or are you unmuted? I doesn't say. Okay, I no. Okay, sorry. Okay, I just I had to mute the call. Go ahead. Sorry. Okay. Guy. Yeah. So, anyways, you see there, I tried to use a spell. That I don't have enough MP for, so the server came back and told me, "Hey, you don't have enough MP for that." But if I go back in. And I hit this test spell, which is another heal spell, but it only has a cost of two, as you can see. Then the server is going to happily tell me that I cast it on myself. The spell was a success, and I got 100 HP, and you can see HP now is 110 Okay. Um, from where it was. So that's how that works um, as far as spells. Inventory, which is something I've worked on for a long time, I'm pretty, pretty happy with. Um, Oh, very visual. So, yeah, so this is the inventory I came up with. You got four choices here. You got you can use an item. You can examine the item, which will tell you basic characteristics of it. You can unequip or equip it, which the way that works is, like, if you pick a sword, uh, well, swords are a little more, uh, let, me, let me pick something else first. So say you pick a new helmet. Whatever helmet you pick is going to get swapped into... Right, right your um, area in the middle here, and then the other one would be released back into your inventory. So you're always removing and putting on another piece. And then drop simply just drops it. Like if you just need room in your inventory and you want to drop something, you can do that. Is there a, a weight factor right now? Can you become encumbered in this game at, at this point or no? You can have a maximum of 40 items at 256 items for, of types of each item. So essentially, you got forty of these slots that you're seeing on the right-hand side, and you can have where you see a three that can be two, uh, two fifty-six. Oh, really? Okay, so yeah. it's just counting items; it's not factoring. Or I'm in sorry, later. I take that back. Ninety-nine. It's ninety-nine. I'm sorry. It's okay. Only two digits. So, okay. But no, it's not a weight. That's a actual uh, inventory count, like how okay. many of those things yeah. you have. Gotcha. 
So if I go down to examine here and I hit uh, enter on the first item, it is you a see potion. that it yep, it's a potion, tells you it affects HP, what kind of change you get, which is minus 10. So minus, obviously, you want you know gets used on uh, a oh, an enemy. enemy. So you can use that potion on an enemy to take away yep. his health. Okay. And then you can see plies in battle, AOE says all, which AOE I haven't implemented yet, so it really doesn't uh, isn't as important. Tells you what its type is, although I need to put an E there. I have it spelled wrong. Uh, tells you is it equipable? No. And then I just have one and one for buy price, sell price. It doesn't actually do anything yet either. Okay. But you can basically go through any of these, um, see what they are. Obviously, um, tells you that's an iron shield. And not a whole lot about that really is working for us yet as far as what you can do with it. But um, so anyway, let me that was for exam. So basically, like I said, you can pretty much do it. And the nice the neat are, thing about I, this, I'm going to take it. The tan color is leather armor versus like iron armor, right? Correct. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Okay. I'll show you that here in a minute. Um, the other thing that's cool about most of these menus, um, I think it's cool anyway, because I, I made it happen. is. <laughs> Every every for every eight items in each row here, once you go past the next eight, it automatically gives us another box and it, ability to scroll those next uh, eight up to up okay. to five tiers, and then it does the same thing as you'll see later in the party menu and such. Um, although I can't really demonstrate it because I don't have enough items or enough uh, party like members to do it, but you'll get the idea. But anyway, yeah. So let me go down to um, unequip equip, and we'll go up here. Oops, sorry, gotta go over here. And if we swap, try to swap our leather sword, tells it to swap for the iron sword, and you can see now that the leather sword is in my right hand there. Yeah. And then if I swap out the leather shield, you can see that it told me it got swapped, and now we have leather there. And then I'll just go through swap all these out so you guys can see the what they all look swapped out. And also notice that when you put them in your, uh, when you actually wear them as part of your gear, it does not take them out of your inventory. So you'll you'll notice that the inventory numbers have not gone down because it's still it's technically still in your inventory. Yeah, yeah. It's just that it would only go down it. if you drop an item. Then I would do right. that. or use it. Yep. So does the so I'm assuming that the different armors you wear affect your armor class, right? So your defense it will your defense level will go down. That's correct. They will, yeah. and and the weapons will have a particular attack uh, value, attack attribute that will get compared in some mathematical magic that I come up with later okay. that I haven't done yet. There's a great RPG components that I'm used to in modern games. So the fact you've got yep. all this here is pretty awesome, man. Yep. I mean, I could easily do weight too. It's just yeah. you got to bite it, taking a little bite, you know. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, but anyway, so that's how you can see how we we swapped out basically all of our uh, gear to leather from. Uh, iron mm -hmm. and then obviously if I go down here and if I'm on the potion and I hit drop then tell me your the, potion was dropped and you can see it went down to two yeah your count just went down yeah that's a great inventory system so let's go back I'm gonna go down this this is a party menu which is uh, basically not it's partially implemented it doesn't actually do anything yet but I'm just going to show it to you guys just so you can kind of get an idea what else we have going on. So you can hit start party, and it'll tell you your party has been created. 
the JK is just joking. Yeah. Or just kidding for yeah. uh just for an output. If you go to join party, now see this is where it would give you the listing of uh different people's parties that you can join that are available on the server. And then if you select a party and then sit join, it'll tell you that you requested to join uh basically number one's party uh is being processed. Uh, let me go down here, add friend. So the way friends work is you cannot add somebody as your friend until you're in a party with them. So you join somebody's party, you come in here, you say, hey, I want to uh, be um, friends with, you know, player one. You hit player one, and then it sends a request to that player to say, hey, this person wants to be your friend. You can accept that. And then once you can accept that, I'm going to make it where you can more easily get into parties with your friends once you have them as your friend. Kind of like a modern, more modern partying system would do. Um, then you can go down to remove friend, does the same thing, you just pick which friend you want to remove. Um, obviously there's no request for that, it just removes them. And then uh, prove disapprove, I don't have implemented yet, but that'll be just for you to be able to say, yeah, I want, I'll let them be my friend type thing. Is there a maximum size to the party? The party, your personal party is going to be four people. At least for right now. That's where I have it, the way I have it set up. Okay. But, like I said, you can, hopefully what will have it is there'll be many other players on screen, but there'll be four that are in your particular party. And, uh, did that for several different reasons. And like I said, it may expand in the future, but right now I have it set up for four. Um, so let me see. So we went through that. We did that. Log off right now doesn't do anything either. So we'll get out of here. Can and, we see uh, some of the world? Can you like walk around the map and show off some of the... Yeah, well, I'm going to show you what the battle looks like. Oh, look at that. We took one step and it got us into a battle. So it gives your player card again. But now you can see we have a different menu. We have attack, spell, item, and run. I'll go to run. It tells us that you tried the run, but it doesn't do anything. At least not yet. Uh, but what I can do, you can see it came in. Wait a minute. I think I hit the wrong button. Yes, I did. Sorry, that was my fault. I have a trick button that lets me get into the battle menu when it shouldn't actually let me. And I think I hit that button. <laughs> uh, so, like I said, so now it tells you, hey, battle started, the blob attacked for three hit points, and you can see my hit points went down by three. So I'll go into attack. It gives you each item in your left and right hand. Obviously, you don't want to attack with a shield, so we use a sword. That's the only thing we have to attack. If you notice now, his HP is at 20, so I'm going to attack him. It says you attack the blob with your leather sword. The attack was success. Blob was hit and loses 10 HP. So then, of course... The blob attacks again from three more. You see my HP went down by three again. Go into attack, leather sword. Now you can see the HP for the blob is down to 10. And okay. we'll attack again. You have triumphed. Yeah, You have triumphed. The blob is dead. So that's how that works. Now what I want to do... Um, make sure I still have it open. I do. What I want to do is I want to um, shut down the game and restart it. But I want to turn off my battle menu so that we don't have to go only a couple steps at a time and hit a battle so we don't waste a bunch of time 
uh, trying to show you guys this stuff. Let me. Well, while you're saying, I would just add a quick question for you. Do you eventually plan to have like pictures of the monsters themselves when you're attacking yes. them? Yes. Or... Yep. Well, uh, yeah. Like where you saw where it said Blob and had the little king statue, there will be a picture of the monster there as well. Okay. We just haven't implemented that yet, but yes. Yeah, that's kind of old school Final Fantasy style. If you can see your picture and their picture at the same time as you go in your turn-based uh, combat, there, that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, it's kind of a it's loosely based on um, Dragon Warrior for the NES. Okay. I don't know if anybody's played that, it's loosely based on that, um, just because that was like my favorite RPG when I was a kid. Uh. Sorry, guys, I'm trying to This is really this. impressive, though. I mean, not only how everything looks, but all the thought and mechanics you've put into it already. Definitely. <sighs> That's fine. While you're doing that... Yeah, this, this would be a good game even without all the networking stuff added in. Yeah, really if this was a, a single player. Well, the cool thing about it is... Well, the cool thing about it is, and this is something that me and Brett talked about, is like... I can, we can have a map, like our main map there. We can have, uh, I think he said, 2,000 by 2,000 squares of wow. information. Wow. And But then the thing is, we can have multiple 2,000 by 2,000 because the server just pushes down what the Coco needs for displaying at that point in time and the tiles that it needs. Right. So, so the Coco is using so much memory on the Coco. Right. You know, right, right. the world's so bigger than have, the Coco's RAM. So the Coco's like looking have, at a, a portal into a bigger world. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And um, the other cool part about it is if you have like some complex comp, uh, computation you're trying to do, you can offload that to the server. The server does it liquidity split. Coco doesn't have to spend any time doing it. It just sends back the answer. And, uh, you know, it makes complicate, uh, something that could be more complicated for you to uh, get done on the Coco in a timely manner. Just get it, you know, all you have is a transit time of the com, uh, com link, basically. So, yeah. So, a question on the system requirements here obviously, a Coco 3 and drive wire, does it, will it need 512K or are you going to be able to cram in 128? Or it's 128 right now. Um, I know Brett desires to keep it at 128K. However, we realize that most people now have at least 512. So that's not a hard stop, but it's kind of where we're at right now. Um, so I think the only thing that would push us over that is if we get to a point where the game code is even using up the new memory map that we gave it with like almost 50 some kilobytes of uh, room, then we might have to find out, might have to dive into another page. But even then, that might just mean we have less room for some graphic assets you know what i mean so it's hard to say how that will end up but i know right now he's he's kind of hoping to keep it 128 now here's a really silly question but let's say you have um let's say you're running drive wire on your pc and you've got a couple of other computers on your home network that would theoretically be able to find that drive wire so let's say you've got two or three laptops running mame could you have could you do a multiplayer with multiple emulators running off the same DriveWire server on the same home network? Uh, I would think so. I so, haven't tried that. I'm almost thinking you could get multiplayer at home just by, you know, all being on the same LAN through emulation. You can, but the problem, the problem with that is that you have to have your own server then as well. Oh, is there going to be a public version of the server available? That's what that's what we plan on doing. Yeah. Okay, yep. so then, yeah, yep. so you could, you could, you could so run you it. So you could run one at home, but you'll whatever you've done online 
there's not gonna be an easy way to transfer that. Oh yeah, no, I get it. But if you just wanted you know to get if you wanted if you were having a hard time finding multiplayers out in the wild and you had another friend at home and say, Hey, fire up your laptop, boot up MAME, let's let's play. You know? Yeah, I think like I said, I ain't gonna say hundred percent that that worked, but I believe that would work, yes. Yeah. Okay. All right, so we're back into the uh, map, and I turned off battling here, so hopefully I don't get pushed into a battle. So here's a neat little thing that Brett came up with. If I move over here, this is a portal. Okay. And if, if I face it and press my space bar, it tells me I feel woozy. <laughs> and we got teleported into this cave. And then if I back up and come back to it and hit my space bar again, I feel woozy again, and now we're back where we started. Okay. So that was a cool little thing that Brett made. Um, as you can see, we also going around here, we have uh, different types of tiles. Obviously, grass, sand, water um, is not walkable, so it won't let me go in there and fall in and drown myself. Now, do you drain, like, uh, do you have food points or anything like that in there? Are, HP. Those, are those beer mugs? They are. <laughs> so so if you're walking on grass versus sand, do you, do you accelerate or deaccelerate? The... Oh, I see what you're saying. Uh I I want to do that in the future, yes, but it does it does not do that yet. Okay. But yes. I remember the old Ultima games, like if you're walking in forest, your your food went down like twice as fast. Yeah, even in Dragon Warrior, like if you walk through poison, you lose hit points as you're walking through poison. So I probably will do something like that. I haven't quite 100 percent figured that out yet. But now, if you can see as we're coming down here, which is what is really cool about this, is it's actually being raycasted from your character's point of view. So. The wall is in front of you. As you can see, you're behind the wall. Yeah, you should yeah, be. yeah. But it's only being raycasted to both sides, so you're only able to see kind of what you'd be able to see based on your field of view. So as I yeah. keep moving here, you'll see that a new piece of everything will keep getting raycasted as I move along. This is all Brett, by the way. That's really cool. And then this is whoop, over here entrance to the cave and i believe if we come over here there's the portal that we yeah. transported to in originally it's pretty cool this... it's pretty smooth you know um the, the clip isn't terrible so um this is good yeah well the other thing like you gotta the other thing too is like it's not animating yet so it may get smoother with animation um which we just haven't quite you know haven't got to that point yet but um yeah, I think that is pretty much the deal that I can think. Of. I think I showed you pretty much the main. Yeah, no, I love I love the whole look and style of it. I love the RPG elements. Um, Mark, you think of any Mark overhauls? Do you think of anything else I did, I'm missing? Um, no, that I, I think that about, I think that's about all of it that I've seen. Yeah, Mark so. has been uh, uh, been kind of um, helping us with um. Nibbling Basically running edges. code, testing code, and then doing some asset, um, what would you call that, management stuff for us to try to get yeah. assets to be a little bit easier to make. So, yeah. Yep. Got that figured out. Oh, excellent. So uh, so that's it. So I guess uh, I'll open it up for questions or comments or anything that you might, might want to uh, ask, and then I guess that's it. Cool. I have one question. Um you, you've got some fairly large asset maps and stuff. Are the maps edited on the PC side then? Or, or yes, is the apps are... We, we picked the uh, Tiled program. I don't know if you ever got into that. There's a program out there called Tiled that's specifically meant for doing mapping for games. And um, so we looked at a couple different ways. Brett thought about making his own program at first, but then he realized that um, Tiled 
put out a format that uh, that Lua could work with. So More then he wrote, metric. yeah. So then he wrote Lua, a Lua uh, tool. Essentially, it takes the tiled information that gets output and gives us a map and, and tiled data that we can use in the game. Then. So also yes, using it's a, a sprite for the images initially. Yeah, using a sprite for most of the images now. Yeah, we pretty much centralized on that as well. Okay, so people could actually create their own maps, their own characters, etc., and, and interface it with your system once it's done. They, they have those tools. They could, but then they'd have to run it on their own server because all this stuff will be server side. Okay. So if if they're on the public server, then they're going to have to go with whatever's on the public server. But yeah, if they want to run per something personal, and they want to learn to use the tools, they could do that. Yep. Okay. That's cool. Actually, it's it's not that hard. Actually, it runs under both Windows and uh, Linux, and it should run on the Mac too. And uh, you, I'm running one on a Raspberry Pi here, plus my main machine. So. Yeah, yeah, we have it right now. It's set up. Um, I'm using. Uh, I guess this is worth talking about because eventually we'll make it open source. Um, so I'm using CYG Win on Windows. Um, that allowed me to compile uh, GCC 6809, which is the compiler we use for the program. Um, and it also allows me to use Make. So we have a basically a single Make file that's been written so that you can compile on Windows with CYG Win or on Linux with Make, and they basically will compile the same, give you an output, give you the game, gives you the disk, gives you the Galaxy server in the right format. So works pretty nice. Wow. That was mostly Brett as well. <laughs> <laughs> Brett is uh, he's a mad scientist. He is. Brett's a, yeah, he, he is. That's he really cool, stuff. though. This is something that we really haven't seen. This has been, I think, on a lot of people's minds and wish lists. Like, yeah, what... Well, the problem with a game like this, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. That's okay. The problem with a game like this is that you can't get very complex with the typical amount of memory, especially if you want to stay at 128K. I guess if you're willing to go all the way to like 512 or even 2 megabyte, I guess you could do it, but then you're getting into some really complicated memory swapping. So, Right. But by leveraging the server... To do a lot of the work, it cuts down on the amount of. I mean, if I would easily be blown past 128k now if I was trying to do this all just on the Coco. So, right, right. Like if you had to load plus, the whole world into RAM, you just you 2,000 tiles squared, you couldn't do it. Right. Well, yeah. Or you just have to limit the map to such a small. Yeah, yeah. Map, you know. So. And then plus, you know, you'd have to develop a whole uh, server program for a Coco to serve it to other Cocos over DriveWire, which. I'm sure you could do that, but it's a lot, in my opinion, simpler just to use a, a full-blown computer to do that. So that's what we did. Yeah, that's really impressive. You can't wait to yeah, see. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like up on a PC. I mean, you don't run your own you know, Warcraft server. You, you join other ones. and Right. right. Yep. Yeah. It's the same it's idea the same as model. just using a Coco instead of using a regular PC. Yeah. Same idea. Love it. Do you, do you have any considerations of making this multi-platform eventually, especially since you get people like Mark Overhose, who's an Apple guy? You know, I'm already planning on porting it to the Apple. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it would be – there's certain um, certain candidates that would be good for Obviously, it has to be um, ones that would have to have at least 128K available. So that would leave like the Commodore 64 out unless you have one of those RMU or REM things, whatever they are. Yeah. And most people don't have that. I guess the Commodore 128 maybe. Uh, obviously, an Apple 2GS is kind of where I would go if I was going to do it for an Apple, because then you get really good graphics as well. Um, Atari, and Atari ST and Amiga, I assume. Yeah, I was going to say probably like a 1080 ST maybe, and then like, yeah, 
early Amigas probably could do it as well. So yeah, I would think you could. Now, do I have plans in doing that? No, not at this time. <laughs> However, um, I have thought about making an IBM, just an actual computer IBM version of it. Ah. Um, so I may work on that at my own, but I'm hoping that when we release the source code, people will see it. And guys like Marco will take it and try to make an Apple version. Maybe somebody will try to make a Commodore version. So we'll see what comes out of it. But I don't have any plans to, um, as far as our group, doing that. Okay. That is very cool. Super duper duper impressive. And thanks for sharing that with us. Yep, no problem. Let me uh, get out of my screen here if I can get my mouse back. Anybody know how to question, keep... Are you guys going to be doing sound assets from the server too? Like yes. digitized bits of speech well yes yeah so what will happen is whatever sounds um are needed probably for that particular map will uh get downloaded either in the beginning like you saw or live time as they're needed so yeah all that will probably come down as well because i'd imagine if you're trying to keep in 128k like digitized samples might be too much to keep in 128 so maybe you'd send like tone you know like use tone five at volume six or something and then just have a sound engine inside that actually just plays, you know, sound effects based on that as opposed to you know, actual digitized. If you're trying to keep it 128k, right? Correct. Yeah, we have it. Uh, like I said, I, I, I don't want to say we're flying by the seat of our pants, but we kind of flying by the seat of our pants. And when we, uh, <laughs> when something comes up that we're like, hmm, that's not going to work, then we just change it to make it work. So we that's may the get only to way the to point. Fly. I, I... Yeah. <laughs> so we may. Um, may get to a point where we're like hey let's add sound and we'll be like ah that really doesn't work real well we'll have to figure it out you know but and if we well, have to go past 128 then we'll probably do that but well one thing about it is that the drive wire is already set up between drive wire and drive wire becker so it could be an insert another network layer in there maybe an actual nick since we have some of those coming along same thing could be done with sound too you know different sound uh portions could have drivers so yeah 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 i mean it i i, I could see it feasible that you could have like um the apple whatever they call that, the Ether Apple or whatever it's called. and uh, Ethernet. Yeah, Ethernet. Yeah, Ethernet, yeah, right. I couldn't think of what it's called. Yeah. And develop, a, like you said, a drive wire driver for the Apple. And then you have the connection. Now you just got to create the program. So, And the Galaxy server itself really doesn't have to change depending on what, you're, you, yeah. know, what you want your game to be. So, I mean, obviously you have to change the main game file, but the server itself will still kind of do what it does. So... Very as cool. far as it's concerned, it's just another client. So, what's that? Exactly. Yeah, client exchanges data. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Got oh. some suggestions here. Photo is suggesting the Amiga, the Specky 128K, Spectrum Next. Uh, Tom Eric Anderson suggested the Amstrad CPC. Obviously, you're not going to be doing any of these. You'll let them. Do their own <laughs> yeah. Like I said, we will when we get to probably. I'm going to say like an open beta sort of place. We'll probably open up the. Um, Help me, Mark. We're GitHub. We'll open up the GitHub repository. Yeah, yeah. we'll have to um, document so the uh, server yeah. protocol. Yeah, so everybody can get at the uh, files and do as they wish. So we'll see what happens after that. Cool, cool, cool. cool. And we've been joined by a person we have not seen in a while. Steve Bjork is here. Hey, Steve. Thanks for joining us. Hey there. How's things going? Super, super. Good to see you. Yeah. It's just I couldn't use my computer there for a few months. All right. I was blind. Oh, my goodness. Cataracts. Oh, dear Lord. Well, well I, had, I had cataract surgery on one eye a few days ago, and 
Um, let's just say the world looks a lot better. <laughs> that's awesome. News. That is well. That's just great. It's great to see you. So that's awesome. Yeah. That is awesome. Yeah, but because of COVID, they delayed everything and anything they could on doing it. I really should have had the surgery about last October, if not earlier. Hmm. But it got to the point that, yeah, I just couldn't see, uh, couldn't drive, couldn't do anything. Yeah, wow. Yep. yep. But I'm halfway back. Good. Well, good. It's great to good see to you. you. Great to see you. And, Thank uh, you. Hey, Stevie, can I uh, make one, one more thing I want to say? Oh, absolutely. Because I just thought about it. What I would like to do is whatever you want to call it, I guess an alpha test of a very small group of people, probably 15 maybe, um, just a real short alpha, maybe a couple of weeks where I'd like to have people basically run the server locally on their computer and kind of just play the game and see if they notice any uh, bugs that we haven't or that kind of thing. Um, so if you're interested in doing that, then go to the Legends of Alcarin page on the Coco Discord. Um, shoot uh, me a message or Brett a message that you're interested mm -hmm. and what kind of platform you're going to run on, whether because we'd like that people that can test it on the real Cocoa, people can test it on Linux, people can test it on Windows, um, just to make sure that what we're seeing really is, you know, the way it really does work because it's just so we're not going to bias to our own situation. Right, right. So, um, like I said, if you're interested, go ahead, um, you know, go to Legends Alcar on Cocoa discord leave us a message and then we'll pick from that group and uh get in contact with you make sure you leave your uh email address or if you don't want to leave it publicly you can uh, dm me privately and do it that way that's awesome that's it. thanks i would love to try it so yeah uh cool that is that is really cool i'm really looking forward to seeing that that's something that we really haven't seen yet we like there was a few back in the day like p51 mustang Maybe some a few chess programs. There wasn't a yeah, lot. Chess checkers, Othello, and stuff. I mean, as yeah. far as, uh, as, far as, as you mean? no a multiplayer, just multiplayer. Oh on the Coco. Yeah. yeah, yeah, over a modem yeah. or whatever back yeah. then. But. So bringing a lot of the more modern features to a Coco game, like a party, you know, joining a party and a friends list and making friends and well, I'll tell all you, when we first started talking about this, I'm yeah. like, man, it'd be great if we could have parties. And Brett's like, oh yeah, that sounds cool. And I'm thinking to myself. There's no way we're ever gonna do parties. And now we actually, <laughs> and now we actually almost have it figured out how to do parties. So it's pretty cool. So we, like awesome. I said, we just kind of, whenever we hit like a problem, we just kind of, uh, well, I bang my head against the wall for a while, and then I go bug Brett, and then he usually helps me, and then we, you know, conquer that and move on to the next thing. So yeah, it works out pretty well. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Uh, well, great, great. And feel free to hang out as long as you'd like. And, and if okay. and people in the chat, if you think of more questions or comments, uh, just feel to throw them out um, as the show goes on. And um, what, what time is it? Or you can contact it? us on Discord. Can, yeah, oh, and hey, uh, Curtis, I also want to say you can make an OS 9 version if you want. <laughs> yeah, because I don't have enough to do. Right. <laughs> That'd be another platform, I guess. But yeah, I mean, DriveWire sports built in there, too. So, yeah, that would be possible. Yeah. Maybe I'll volunteer Bill for it. There you go. All right. Well, it actually looks like we have been going on for for almost an hour. Uh, so how about we'll take a brief commercial break, and then we'll come back with Game On, and I believe there is a probably a Samuel Gimes um, to to um, to to play us into 
uh, game on. Uh, so we'll take this break, and then we'll be back with Nick Morota's favorite part of the show, where he gets to basically be the star. So we'll be back after these words with Game On and Samuel Geis. And now, these messages. It's a Radio Shack Merry Christmas. This year, I needed to give a real family pleaser. Honey, please help me with this budget. How about a new game, Dad? Please. And I found it. Radio Shack's Color Computer 2. On sale for just $99.95. It entertains, educates, manages. It's expandable and affordable. Now that really pleases me. The Color Computer 2. Sale price for Christmas. Only at Radio Shack. Hi, I'm Kieran Anscombe, author of XRAW, and your brain is resolving sensory input into Cocoa Talk. At GSoft, we make games for the TRS-80 Color Computer, TRS-80 MC-10, and Dragon Computers. Our basic games cover the range of genres from arcade, to text adventures, to simulations, to 3D dungeon crawls. This is our latest puzzle game from Japan, Fruit Panic. So come on, drop by our website, and download our latest games. Tired of switching your joystick between the left and right port? Want to change between different controllers? Well, Joey has got you covered. The Joey Controller Switch. Take control of your controllers with the flip of two switches. Order today at cocoman.biz. And now, Coco Thoughts by Samuel Gines. Legend says, when the moon is full, if you go out in the country by the lake and whisper the name of Nick Marota three times, his spirit will appear and he will grant you a product idea. Radio Shack has a great gift idea for the whole family. Fast action TV games, and they're on sale. Get this six game model for $29.95 or the four game model for $21.95. With rising entertainment costs, that's a real bargain. You play hockey, tennis, squash, and more. Easy to hook up and great family fun that lasts all year long. The sale price TV games. Only at Radio Shack, a Tandy company. Hi, I'm Terry Steen, author of Balloon Fire and other amazing games on the color computer. And you're listening to Stevie Stroh on Coco Talk. And now, Coco Thoughts by Samuel Gimes. Well, I'm a stocky short ranger. I live the life of danger. <laughs> Shooting enemies and jumping high. Attack the chamber of Pasha. I'm just glad there is no lava. Avoid floating urns and roving eyes. <laughs> I got all the keys that number 10. The acid chamber I go then to enemies who didn't know my fame. Get treasure chests, shoot demon heads I'll never stop till they are dead Got nothing to lose and all to gain Hey, you're all stocky, short ranger You'll live lives of danger <laughs> Play a game on and follow it till the end If you reach number one 
Yo Mock Bucko wins for fun and go Oh Lord, that was quite. The, I I don't know the song if that was a parody, but it was a great production and a great effort there by Samuel Gimes. And Samuel Gimes is getting personal. Shade, yeah. <laughs> Name dropping. Thank you, Mr. Gimes. Ron Dovo, what'd you think of that song? Oh, Ron's not here today. Ah, <laughs> oh, good job, Samuel Gimes. Thank you ever so much. Now here comes Nick Marotta's favorite part, where his name is mentioned. Prominently and often. High score challenge. All right, and welcome to another week of results. This week we played Danger Ranger with 20 scores submitted. Ken Reichard, 28. Mr. Dave, 34. Is it a low scoring game? Mark B, 46. Yeah. C. Duris, 102. Gary M, 239. Henry Nonick, 288. Rich N, 569. Terry Steen, 603. Paul Shoemaker, 709. Canadian Retro Thing, 726. Jim Rye, 776. Sloopy Malibu, 852. Tom C, 917. Me, 943. Buck Owens, 1,271. Tasman, 1,452. Al Curtis Boyle, 1,476. David Craker, 1,509. Nice. Catlord, 1,553. And the number one score this week belongs to Kieran. With oh, my goodness. We Good have a score. new winner. Thank you for another great week. And thank you wow. for all the submissions. Winner, so, winner, chicken dinner. Karen, author of X-Roar. Awesome. Congratulations. And Ooh. Dungeons. And yeah, yeah, and Dungeons, yes. So, yes, uh, it is a very low-scoring game. Some of the enemies are only worth like one point. Wow. <laughs> So let me just get the sharing going here. Okay. I'll stop my share. All right. So it should be sharing now. It's not showing up yet, but here we go. There there we go. All right. So uh, Curtis sent me this ad. There was not a whole lot of information on Danger Ranger. I didn't find any scores or anything, at least in Rainbow. Um but yeah, this was an ad that uh, Curtis sent to me from Rainbow. Um, it was a full page ad. Yeah, so I'm surprised it didn't. What's get a blue and red, about an inch tall, and able to keep across a Coco computer video display in a single bound and descend into inky, ink, inky, inky, winky, winky, and stinky, winky, stinky, stinky, stinky out to pasture. Out to pasture. Wow. Okay. Danger Ranger, the newest character from screenplay. That's who, Danger. Isn't a clone of some moldy arcade game. (laughs) Uh. It's taking video game that you've ever seen. It's faster, more challenging, and more fun. Okay, very cool. 25 bucks off of cassette. Not bad. So, uh, once again, uh, we got some... See, this menu goes away. I don't remember the name screenplay as far as... uh, 
screenplay is what publisher. Med Systems became. Uh, Med uh, Systems where Ken Kalish did yeah. like Invader's Revenge and, okay. and Phantom right. Slayer. Name change. Yeah, I, okay, I think I put it by, YouTube, uh, Nick. Uh, I think I pointed out that uh, that ad from Rainbow, which was from 83, I can't remember the month off the top of my head, but actually they just literally changed the name when they submitted the ad. So if you look in the advertiser's index, it's still listed as MedSystems, uh, but the ad right. actually had screenplay. Sorry, go ahead. So this gameplay is by Canadian, Canadian Retro Things again, who thought this was an okay game, uh, not one of his favorites. And uh, it got some mixed reviews among people playing. One of the things that people complained about, and I do agree, is the hit, the collision detection seemed very unforgiving. It seemed like it kind of extended a little bit beyond uh, his body. So uh, that, I, that I agree with. I felt like there were some hits there that were detected that I didn't really agree with either. But, but yeah, overall, it's definitely it's, not an easy game. No, it's not. It's a very low scoring game. Like I said, those eyes are worth a point each. Wow. And there's only four digits in the score. So it's, uh, yeah, we, I, we tend to like the games that have uh, higher scores for some reason. It makes us feel a little better. The, the <laughs> That's why you have pinball that got to billions of points because people liked having high, high scores. But uh, yeah. So a very simple game. There are only the two screens. And uh, I only made it to like the level, level two myself. Uh, I was like, I don't know, number 10 score or whatever. Uh, didn't, didn't do particularly well, but it was a lot harder than I remember as a, as a kid. So. It's, it's yeah, a pretty interesting. You go through a level, they add little bits to make it harder, like they'll add yeah. more acid drops or the demon heads start taking two shots to kill. On the first screen, they add you know more bats, they add more of the roving eyes, and then they have those other roving eyes, I don't know what they're called, but the ones that go sideways. And those you can't shoot ducking standing you have to actually jump but catch it at the right spot to shoot those and that's that's incredibly hard yeah. as i'm sure kieran can attest to uh, i found it to be a pretty i i didn't play it this week but i played it before i enjoyed it for just being a unique game um ken Kalish, we were talking about this on discord earlier this week i mean i can't think of a game he's made that i didn't like you know he just Seem to have a really good knack for creating quality, enjoyable titles, you know, and yeah. um, that do sound feel effects. Yeah, great sound effects. Yeah, he's rather famous for that, and he tried to make almost all of his games fit in 16K. That was a mantra that he had. Yeah, and since hopefully Steve's still here, I can't see the full panel. But last week Zaxxon was our game, and we had a great turnout. We had like 30 people playing it. So, oh, good. Yeah. And we had twenty this week, which is pretty good. Yeah. It's, uh, uh, this this is this is a game that I thought a lot of people knew. Uh, I don't know if as many people knew about it as I thought did, but uh, just because I had it as a kid, so I guess I assume that everybody knew about right, it. Right. Right. But uh, I know you knew about it, Stevie. Yeah. So I don't know if it's uh, considered a, a, one of the iconic Coco games or anything like that, or what do you think of when you think of the Coco? But uh, it's a pretty good game. Yeah. It was pretty popular on the Dragon in the UK too. And one thing I, I found out uh, or forgotten about actually was this is one of the few games that was created on a Coco first and then ported to like a Commodore 64 and Atari. Mm. So there's versions of the, that this game for those platforms as well that came out in 84 and 85, I believe. Oh, that's interesting. I also noticed two Kieran scores were used to P, used to P mode three. So I guess that was the Dragon used to P mode three. Yeah, because they didn't have artifact color. So it just looked like a bunch of stripe white stripes yeah were we able to run this one in p mode 3 on a coco with the keys does anybody know 
some games you could hit clear, right? And it would run it in P mode 3. I don't know if this one did I that. I don't know if it did or not. Because I think the Dragon version just defaulted to P mode 3. I'd care and have to answer that. I haven't played the Dragon version. Yeah. So not a whole lot to say about this game. It's a pretty simple game. Two levels and uh, pretty straightforward gameplay. So I don't know if there's much more to talk about with this one. Well, so yeah, I'll, I'll mention a few strategies. On the second screen we're just seeing now with the Demon Heads here, you can get hit by the acid drops, like you said, from the you know, rather wide-ranging yes. hit detection. So one trick I, I found out back in the day and used on, when I did my score is that when you're coming to the edge where you're about to get the treasure chest, you have to drop down to get it, is to actually jump towards the right on the on the right-hand side, jump towards the left on the left-hand side, so that you'll jump out of the way of the acid drops as you fall. So if an acid drop's coming up at you, it will not hit you. Right. But if you just fall, you'll get hit every time. So that that's one one thing. Also on this one here, you can shoot the acid drops. Like the acid drops basically just wrap the screen. So they're in fixed patterns basically. But if you shoot them, they restart. They respawn at the beginning. So you can rejigger the, you know, where where they are each in their, their tracks so that mm. you can actually change it so it's a bit easier to navigate these screens. Yes. And and also on later levels on the first screen with the elevator, uh, where that if like if you miss some of the keys coming down and you have to come back up, you can hop on that little elevator platform that shoots you back to the top. But the uh, roving eyes on the sides go absolutely bonkers on label levels and just let out a stream of fire at you. So it's it's a ah. bit risky. I contemplated milking the first level for points, but one point per eye would have taken <laughs> years to. <laughs> yeah, if, if you like your year. milk by the drop, then go ahead. Exactly. <laughs> I got 5,000 points. Only took me 72 hours. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, so, the the difficulty is actually you know, dinner. pretty difficult to start with, and it ramps up pretty quick. Yeah, yeah, you got two of the uh, laser beamy things shooting at you now. And you, I think you, the collision you know, you detect, two bats in the bottom, and then, yeah. I think the collision detection should have been uh, should have been uh, jiggered a bit. I think it was a little bit too unforgiving, but yeah. I, back back in the day, I just got used to that. You just play right. the game a few times, you kind of figure it out. But yeah, I agree. Like visually, it doesn't look right. Like yeah, how did I die? Type thing. Yeah. yeah. But the only strategy I have for this one here is that basically I just as soon as those roving eyes come down, whether there's two or four, I just mow them down as quick as I can because then you have that breather while they're sinking to the bottom. Yeah. And then you can just worry about bats and keys for a while. But if you spread it out, so you kill one or two, and then you go down a level and then kill another one or two on the other side well then you're getting a constant stream of them you don't get that break so that's, that's one technique on this particular screen and those eyes one shoots low and one shoots high yeah so you can dodge your shots by ducking or jumping yeah you can also shoot their shots that's what a nice thing too if you actually line it up properly you can shoot their shot to stop it yes and i believe their shots kill the bat i think i saw that happen at least one time yep. anyway yeah they can occasionally kill the bats too they can actually help you yeah it looks like Ken's doing a pretty good job here. Yeah. Die, eyeball. I'd love to see Kieran's game because he got to level four, and I haven't been to level four since I was young. I, I didn't make it this time. That was a long time ago, Curtis. Yeah, I don't think he... Uh, <laughs> oh, he just hit the elevator. I don't was born yet. So. <laughs> I don't think he... Uh... Oh, I forgot what I was going to say. You don't, think right. he submit, you, know, you don't think he recorded a video? I don't think he submitted a video. Yeah. Right, yes. Thank you. Okay. Lost my train of thought. It's, All a, right. it's a unique game, I will say yeah. that. I mean, it has cool. been ported to a couple of platforms. I actually have asked a couple of the Amigos guys because um, Flack, uh, Rob O'Hare on there, he actually has the Commodore 64 version and he remembers playing it back in the day too. 
So I, I mentioned, because he's got a C64 show called Sprite Cows, I suggested that maybe you could try that one, because I'd like to see what these other ones look like. I've seen screenshots, but I've never played them. I'm going to yeah, take a wild guess and, and say that maybe it uses the SID chip. Yeah, I imagine the sound's a little bit better. <laughs> Though, to be honest, the sound on this one's not that bad. Nah. No, yeah, the Kendall's sound is pretty good. good. Sound. Yeah. And the Atari 8-bit version, I would like to see that one, too, because I've never seen that one in action. And Karen, yeah, just, Karen just responded and said he did not record it, his gameplay. Well, if he ever does decide to record one, because I think XWare supports screen recording, doesn't it? Or actually, you could probably get the host to also do it anyway. I'd love to see what, you know, obviously he's pretty good at it because he got multiple scores pretty high. I'd like to see what the level four differences are. All right. Are we ready to move on? Uh, yes, I think so. Yep. Thank you, Nick. And the suspense is killing us. What game will we be playing now? All right. Well, next week's game is a request. and It's, it's so obscure that it's not on... Uh curtis's page that doesn't mean it's obscure that just means i'm really behind <laughs> <laughs> it's actually a game that was an arcade game to support and it's one that i did had no idea it was uh, on the coco until 60 pointed it out to me so uh it is oh mooncrest yeah mooncrest there was an was official a original uh, is this official or is it just a clone with it's the... called mooncrest I don't know if if the uh... Karen can just let me know for sure. But from what I understand, in the UK, because copyrights, international copyrights, weren't really fully defined yet, there was a lot. Like the Spectrum is famous for having a lot of ports of games that were actually named after the original arcade game and had nothing to do with licensing or anything else. They were just clones, but they were done, you know, under the official name. So I don't know if this falls under that category or not. I'll have to let Karen answer that one. So it was by John Martin, Incent, Incentive Limited, in 1986. So it's a pretty late game for, uh, for uh, as far as the Coco 1 and 2 are concerned. So yeah, was this I, As I mentioned, this was released in the Dragon first. Oh. I mean, we eventually got it. This was a Dragon release. Sorry, gotcha. Yeah. I, I, I missed you saying that. So okay. So, uh, yeah. So basically, it's a shoot, space shooter. You shoot those things. I don't believe they fire back on you, at least on the first level. And then there's also a cool thing where you can dock your ships. So after yeah. clearing a couple levels of aliens, you can dock your ships. So there, your ship's in three parts. So on this screenshot, I lost the first part already. But if I had part one, you dock part one and two. And if you can keep those, you can dock all three. Some so comments kinda... in the chat. Um, Sixty said, yes, it was an official licensed release. So that's cool. And uh, Ken Record says that looks like a Star Spores ripoff. <laughs> which is funny and then scott cooper says if you want to try out the higher levels like level four just hit four at the select level screens apparently you can start on the level if you want to see them all obviously don't do that for the game on channel right for the game i will start from level one but yeah that's a good tip for if you want to see what the further levels look like so uh thank you sixy for the suggestion thanks crt again for the gameplay video this week and thanks to all the scores uh people who submitted scores this week and we will see you next week well i have a, i have to ask what is hopefully a dumb question or maybe it's not a question that's going to get us into the gray area of legalities, but where would one obtain this? Is it on the um, same. same usual place that other things are obtained yeah. from? Okay. Because, I, like I said, we haven't heard of this one before. Check for Cresta. Okay. And one, yeah. of, the, one of the advantages, this is like the uh, Galaga, where if you uh, dock two ships together, you get more firepower. That's yeah. the real goal here. Right, yeah, and you have up to three stages, right? So that's pretty cool. So you have to you have to give the ship thr uh, thrust, like you give it to, with a button that gives it some thrust, to, and then it you gotta let, float it down gently onto the bottom ship. Mm -hmm. 
All right. I really like that in the arcade too. So when I heard yeah. it was a, a Coco version, I was very surprised to see where Stevie. So yeah. Well, so back thanks, back in the day when this game came out in the arcade, multiple companies were selling it. Hmm. So okay. you had different ones from different manufacturers. I remember it being fairly popular, but I didn't realize it was actually manufactured by different, yep. different companies. Uh, well, did you know so the they, game existed, uh, Curtis, on the Coco? Yep. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've played it, I've played it before. I, when I was starting to get some of the Dragon stuff to organize, there was a whole bunch of Dragon ports that I was going through, which I've got some rough you know, notes and stuff made for the games page, which I actually have been updating a little bit the last few weeks. Oh, but, okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm still way behind. All right. Well, how about we go ahead and, and uh, close out Game On with the Game On news, and then we'll take a break, and we'll come back with updates and acquisitions. So I think but Brian... before you do, I want one other comment from 60 here, which is actually pretty ah. interesting. I didn't know this. It said there was a nationwide cross-platform competition on Mooncresta, which a Dragon user won, and the winner got the actual arcade cabinet. Oh, my you. goodness. Wow. That is very cool. That's a good contest. That's like a three thousand. That was like a, yeah. an arcade cabinet back then. It was like three grand or something, right? Or whatever it was. It was a lot of money. It's a lot of money in eighties time. In eighties money. Um, so how about we close out game on with game on news, Curtis? Then we'll take a break and then we'll Chill. come back with updates and acquisitions. Okay, you guys seen it? Sir, yes, sir. Okay, so speaking of gaming stuff here, Eric has, uh, of course, been doing this this fighting game in semi-graphics, and he's done a couple little updates he's got here. So the first one is just showing some of the uh, tweaking and dirty pixel manipulation. He did a little clip here to kind of show. That's pretty cool. And I think the top bars is kind of just registering with the center where, where the, the character is being mapped, because, of course, on semi-graphics, you have to do every two pixels wide has to be the same color and black, which makes manipulating this mode particularly difficult. So what Eric has done with it is just amazing. Absolutely. And he's got this other one here where he's actually done an actual demo of some of the moves you can do. Uh, he didn't explain, like, what joystick manipulations you have to do to do each of these moves, but there's jumps and kicks and all kinds of stuff. So I'll let that little gift play here. Looks like he's got moves like Jagger. You duck. Yeah. What the? Jump. Yeah. The uh, the animation cycles are really great. It you get the feeling of, you know, he's like you know very slowly, gracefully moving through the air. Yeah, and to pull that off in semi graphics is just amazing. <laughs> yeah, and I'm wondering if he's doing this all in basic still too. Uh, judging by the background screen, it says run. Yep. Yeah. That's impressive too. Yeah. I mean, if you use if you use strings as opposed to set set resets, quite. Similar. Oh yeah, no, if you yeah. Use strings, it's yeah. you can get it going mm -hmm. pretty quick. But and then on MC10, you can actually bake the semi-graphic strings into the mm -hmm. quotes. Cause yeah, the just like the old uh, Commodore Pet in the yeah. In the, um, well, various actually other. That's actually something that I'm really hoping I can try when I start using um, Eric Canales' editor. I'm wondering if I could do like the Alt command. Remember how you could do like Alt 128 to enter in a character that you couldn't type? I'm wondering yeah, if like I can. Yeah. yeah, I'm wondering if I can do some of that in the editor to get some of the semi-graphics characters in quotes and then have that transcend over to the Coco. That would be kind of cool. 
So I haven't tried that yet, but that popped into my head as a thing to try. No. Yeah, very smooth. I mean, it's it's very minimalist, but I, f- I feel like for the pixels you're getting, you know, ex- you, you're not, you're not, well, what is that? Is that you're an arm? Is that a leg? Is, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what it is. You know what it's doing. And it's it's achieving its objective of looking like a person doing stuff, um, yeah. which is really cool. And we've seen before in some previous, you know, stuff that he's demoed here, like some of the backgrounds he's got, like sunsets and buildings right. and stuff. Like, and I, I think I think it was maybe Nick Morentes or somebody who was saying, like, if you use one of these lower resolution modes, you can just make a bigger world and have it pan through that world. So you don't have to try to get mm-hmm. everything in screen. Just make it all to scale and make it panable. Um, and so you and then uh, that also gives you the illusion of, of you, you know, working in a bigger world where this might have been all fit in one screen but it actually takes up you know like eight by eight coco tech screens but as you pan through them you feel like you're covering more space you know um, yeah i mean since each coco tech screen is only half a k yeah for the whole thing i mean yeah. even if you don't compress it you get lots of room yeah That's neat very impressive. good job yeah erico continues to impress and amaze with what he can do in limited pixels yeah <laughs> He's a genius at it. Yeah. He's an artisan. An artiste. AC Ducey. Yeah. So Jim Gary, of course, you know, because that was a dice game or something, right? Yes, I believe it is. Or is it a card game? Card game or a dice game? Yeah. I think it's card game. So anyway, this is another one of his uh, entries for the 10 liner basic contest that's currently going on. And it's based on the game by Bill Palmby from 1978, as you can see on his remarks there. So he cheats, you know, past the 10 lines of actual code, he puts the rims in. Okay. That doesn't count against you in the contest. Okay. And it's a game where two cards are dealt, and then you bet if you think the third card dealt will be between the first two or not. Ah. And you've got your suits, and then you've got the little you know, number or character, like yeah. a three and a queen. Or king. Yeah, there's nothing between king and ace. <laughs> Oh, that's neat. That's a pretty simple game. Yeah. So, yeah, 10 lines. Yeah, and yeah, to get the, again, getting these graphics in here. Um, here you can kind of see the kind of semi-graphics aliasing here because you can't mix red and white, right? So, like these hearts, you can't have yeah. a white border the around the heart. So, yeah. Yeah, the um, only way around that is if you made the screen background black and then you could kind of... Yeah. No, but it looks good. Again, it's like you know, you know what the shape is. There's no confusion here. You got your hearts, yeah. your spades, your diamonds... Clubs. Clubs, yeah. 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 Good job, Jim. And the second one is not a 10-liner. So this one here is an update to his port of Tim Hartnell's chess. So he has done this before. So he's added the ability for the game to play against itself. So it has a built-in demo mode now. Now, he does warn you that, A, it is not particularly good. And, two, <laughs> this still has some bugs. Okay. <laughs> I love full transparency when you're... Uh... Commenting on your code. <laughs> it's not good, and it's kind of buggy. Other than yep. that... Honesty. Yeah. <laughs> Truth in advertising. I know so some people say that pawns. about Nitrous 9, too, yeah. so for ease of use. So. Yeah, so I, I'm not assuming P, P is pawn, <laughs> R is rook, right? King, yeah. knight. N is knight, I think. Yeah, N is knight, right? King and your, uh, what was the other bishop. one? Bishop. Queen. Oh. And it uses the inverted characters for your opponents. You can kind yeah. of tell the letters apart, etc. Yeah. So, and here it is playing itself. So this is showing the actual self-running demo. 
I remember Tim Hartnell had some books for a lot of them for the ZX81. Uh, yeah, ZX81. well, he did books actually even before they became machine specific when they were still doing the generic. Like, he was basic oh, programs for you know right. every machine out there right now. So. Terry Steen says he has to go, but he also said it's good to see. He said it was good to see Steve Bjork again. So Terry, if you still caught us, thanks for stopping by. Yeah, it looks neat. Yeah. Uh, next up, I just wanted to mention the Cuthbert Dragon. I'm not going to play a lot of the videos now because we've seen some of this stuff before. He's been kind of you know retooling the way he does his videos, where he does like a long play, <clears throat> and then sometimes does these combo packs too. So he did Cranky, which is an educational game by itself. Airball, he just did a very brief one up to the temple. But Backtrack, you remember that kind of 3D top view game where you have to go through the maze and you have to avoid getting eaten by snakes and stuff? He actually did a three-part thing and actually solved it all the way through the five-key stage. So he's wow. actually won the game. Oh, wow. right. So that was kind of neat. And then he's got a little triple deck here because it was Star Spores, coincidentally enough. Uh, Cavern okay. of Doom, which is an adventure game. And Demon City, of course, which we know is a clone of Phoenix. Mm -hmm. But in the UK, those were sold as sold as uh, bargain games for only four ninety nine. Wow. Four pounds ninety nine. So that a... he did is kind of the, you know, uh, so the cheaper. It wasn't the cheapest ones, but it was like lower than normal. With rising entertainment costs. North America. Yeah. Because that would have been what about at that time what twelve fifty yeah that that thing back in there was like two to one so so I mean those like Demon Seed in particular I know was twenty twenty five but dollars here so it was actually cheaper to buy them in the UK maybe not with shipping and he just put this one up here literally like you can see just this morning here Cuthbert, uh, Cuthbert triple feature, feature. Which I haven't looked at yet but I, I think I've seen him play a lot all the Cuthbert, Cuthbert games before so. Neat. I noticed Frodo streaming too as well when I opened up the Coco Talk Twitch page. He was on it. So <laughs> yeah, he was streaming uh, the first year's worth of Atari Lynx games earlier today. Oh, so. neat. Yeah, some of them were looking pretty cool. Now this is one Nick Morenis pointed out to me I hadn't seen before. So this is a, a channel called the Laird's Lair, and one of the subsections like he does a lot of retro games for various systems. One of the things he does is a thing called foreplay, where he takes the same game and then he shows four different machines running a version of it side now, by I think side in this case he... sorry is it like side by side like a multi-view or... yes yeah oh, okay and that's then true. you'll see the speaker icon so he'll switch the sound so oh okay version gotcha like oh, that's really neat yeah it's a really cool idea pop it up Let's now in this, this. Yeah. in this case here i think he thought that the berserk which is the mark data products one was the official one because he's usually he does official you know arcade adaptations. yeah yeah now, Mark Data Products was not official because it has an S instead yeah, of a Z. Yeah. Z. Mm -hmm. So, and also he's playing the dragon version. So in this case, it's no artifact in color, so it's all the grayscale. Okay. So, uh, what did you want to just hear the? Yeah, well, yeah, just, the yeah I'd like to see it. I'd like to see some of the uh, different versions, what they look like. So these are just showing the splash screens between them. Uh huh. The Commodore's is quite unique. I, it, they did a it little. Looks like comic a comic script. book or something. Yeah. yeah. The Dragon version was available on a cart. I used to have it. There's the background music for the Commodore one. Yeah, example. sounds just like the arcade did. Yeah, Not. No <laughs> That's just the Commodore showing off its SID chip. Yeah. There's the Dragon. Awesome sound on the intro screen there. Just Ooh. like the Atari. And the Spectrum, same thing. Yeah. Does it have gameplay? I want to see yeah. some of the gameplay. Oh, is that loud enough? Yeah. Yeah, the Atari sounds pretty accurate. 
Well, it sounds exactly like the Atari 2600 version. This yeah. is the Atari 400-800, of course, but it was basically the same sound chip. So. Oh, who got, who got the voice? Was that the Atari doing that? Yep. Oh, wow, that's impressive. The digitized voice was really good. They did digitized voice on the Apple with just one bit. It's rough, but, you know, you could hear yeah. stuff. Now, ironically enough, the, the version he picked here, Berserk Mark Data, which is a 16K one, never had voice stuff. But Android Attack from Spectral Associates, which had both 16K and 32K versions, if you had the 32K version, did have digitized speech. So he could have picked one that on the Coco that that did, or the Dragon for that matter, but uh, chose not to. Yeah, the sounds on uh, Berserk were not impressive, but the visuals were. Yeah. Like the Running Man looked really good. Very smooth. That's where we get some sound from the C64. Accessing disk. Yeah, it's an impressive title screen. Yeah, C64 voice sounds good. Yeah. The firing sound is bad. Weird. Explosions are good and stuff, but the firing sound was an odd choice. But the voice they did really well. Yeah. Really good. Fast forward to the dragon. Now, he apparently wasn't very good at playing the dragon version for some reason. He just kept running, you know, away from yeah. the Occasionally he shoots and kills somebody. Now, I think, if I remember correctly, because of the PAL versus NTSC thing, the 50 versus 60 years, I think the dragon version actually plays at a slightly different pitch than the Coco version mm. did. Okay, I've seen enough. That was neat, though. That the Spectrum neat. one is, I think, using character graphics because it doesn't even move very smoothly. It, like, jumps an entire character cell. Oh, okay. And the sound is very minimal. Like, it doesn't even make sounds for firing and stuff. There's some sounds when you finish or you die or finish a level type thing. But uh, Yeah, I can see. Is... Yeah, they are very, uh, like, blocky how they move from grid to grid. Yeah, and they do sound for scrolling the screen, but not for shooting or killing. Ah, yeah, that was oh, good. Voice. It sounded like birds chirping outside. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Anyway, he's done. He's done multiple ones of these four ones, and I'd like I said, I'd not seen this channel before, and I think he's done one or two other ones with Dragon. I'll have to hunt them down, and maybe we can take a look at them in a future episode, because it's a, it's a nice concept of actually seeing them like side by side like this. That way, you could pick some better, you know, better Coco one if you want to show up voice, etc. Yeah, very cool. I'll keep an eye out on his page. Yeah, you know how like we, we talk about how we're disappointed that most games that use the speech sound pack only use speech and they didn't use music? But mm -hmm. a Berserk clone on the speech sound pack would have been a perfect use of the speech sound pack because that is the freaking Cylon robot voice, you know? So. Yeah. <laughs> and it would have taken no CPU to do it, you know? And I'm surprised that Spectral didn't do that. They could have taken Android Attack, the 16K version, and converted it for the speech sound. Yeah, it might have been timing, and maybe it wasn't out at that time or something, you know? Yeah, because they did convert almost every one of their games at some point. Like Froggy, they added voice and, you know, stuff that really didn't need it. But uh, they never did that with Android Attack, as far as I know. Okay, cool. The last game on news story. Dun, 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 dun. David F. Giesbert, Gisbert, not sure how to pronounce that. But he created a poll. He said, what games do you like the most for the Beloved Dragon? This is the Dragon Facebook group. You can choose ones that he had to put on there or add your own. And there's, I think, 38 entries so far. Did anybody pick Cosmic Aliens? That is available on the Dragon. <laughs> <laughs> 
So Shock the top Trooper. three are Chuck, Chucky A, 29 votes, Manic Miner, 21, and Donkey King at 16 as of this morning when I loaded the page up. Okay. And then, so Chucky Egg was a, a dragon release. Manic Miner was a dragon release. Donkey King was a Coco release originally. Jet Set Willie was a dragon release originally. Buzzard Bait was a Coco release. So it was a nice mixture of, you yeah, know, yeah. whether it was Coco. Frogger, Lunar Dragons. Rover Patrol, Shock Trooper, Berserk, Rommel's Revenge. Yeah, a lot of good choices there. Yep, screaming abdabs. Ugly. That's the game. Sizzigy? Sizzigy? Because we were talking about lightsabers, and I said, you know, there's a game with Darth Vader and a lightsaber, and it was Sizzigy. Yep. Yeah, that's the one. Because I know uh, Ben Drakes had showed that one off. At the end, Darth Vader comes out the lightsaber, and like he'll cut you, yeah, and, and your, the, screen, the screen bleeds and stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, and actually, if I remember correctly, wasn't that the original proposed name for Atari that Nolan Bushnell was going to use? Sizzigy? Yeah, yeah, I believe it was. Oh, that's, yes, it, it was. It's very difficult to pronounce. It was uh, originally to be the name for Atari, and then they, uh, then it was found that was someone else used it, and it's pronounced Sizigi. Sizigi. Yeah, and it's a space reference, isn't it? It's some sort of distance from Earth for a certain effect to happen, or something. I can't remember the exact details. Yeah, I don't remember the exact meaning off the top of my head. I think it's the distance away from Earth you have to travel before the Cocoa Talk panel starts to look uh, tolerable. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's a big number. Yes. Do numbers go that big? <laughs> <laughs> You're going to need floating point for that. Uh-huh. Cool. Very cool. Wait a that's a, if, if any of you have dragons, because I assume this assume, you know, works with you know, NTSC Tan on Dragons as well, if you guys want to go participate, if you're in the Dragon Facebook group, uh, go put in your own books, too. I'd like to get some perspective i mean most of this would be european centric of course but it'd be interesting to see if there's a difference between north american fans versus the uh non okay and that's it for thank you for so, uh yeah sorry jay just for interest of uh education definition is the nearly straight line configuration of three celestial bodies such as the sun moon and earth during a solar or lunar eclipse in a gravitational system oh Okay. That's what it says, at least on this page anyway. Merriam-Webster, so that's pretty reputable. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, we're going to take a commercial break, and then we're going to be back with project updates and acquisitions because uh, Brian Weezer's got some stuff to show. He might not be able to stay too late, so we're going to bring that segment forward. I know he's got, probably got about an hour's worth of things to show us. Um, and then we will do news after updates and acquisitions. So we'll be back with more Cocoa Talk after these words. And we are gonna do a little Fletcher. We'll be back after Fletcher. After these messages, we'll be right back. Fletcher, I don't need that report tomorrow. Great, JT. I need it tonight. But, JT... Fletcher saved $300 on her office away from the office. Radio Shack's revolutionary Model 100 computer. It's a word processor, phone directory, and dialer. It even communicates with the office computer. Fletcher, how's that report? Fletcher. Radio Shack's Model 100. Save $300 and put it to work. You'll go far, Fletcher. <laughs> You'll go far. And now, Coco Thoughts by Samuel Gimes. On holidays, Uncle JT would entertain us with stories of his business conquests and his assistant who would meet any deadline that he imposed, no matter how ridiculous. Well, until she shot him in the face, that is.
Hi, this is the award-winning Alan Huffman of Subbeat the Software, and you're watching Stevie Fall Off Cliffs. What's going on, guys? Stevie Stroh here, and I want to say thank you so much for being part of this adventure with us. It's been such a great experience in doing Cocoa Talk every week, and the support we get is just amazing. And so the fact that you watch and listen is all the reward that we need. However, if you would like to become a patron of the show and offer some financial assistance towards the production and hosting costs of the show, we do have a Patreon site available for that, and you can reach that by going to our website at cocotalk.live and clicking on the Patreon link. But just do us a favor and watch and listen to the show. This is not the Joey Serial Switch. This is the Joey Serial Switch. Control up to three serial devices. Order yours today at CocoMan.biz. Radio Shack, America's technology store. Right. This Christmas, Tandy has a very special offer. A family color computer pack to take away at a very special price. This family computer comes complete with software and costs an incredible $449, a saving of $241.69. It's powerful, educational, and ideal for the young and young at heart. The easy way to start computing. The color computer family pack from Tandy. Get it while it's hot. Tandy, the biggest electronic store in Australia. Yeah. Hi, I'm Tim. Playing Daggereth like that idiot from the book. <laughs> You're watching Coco Talk. I was going to say, he's asleep. Yeah, I just woke up. That oh. was a Tandy. Oop, I won't say it. <laughs> well, we're back, folks. We are back. And uh, it is time for everyone's favorite part of the show. Updates and acquisitions. This is where we get to see how much Brian Weasler has and how much we hate him for it. Um, but before we get to Brian Weasler, does anybody else have any updates or acquisitions? Anybody been working on a project? Did I see Jason Reichard wave his hand? All right, Jason, you won't take nearly as long as Brian Weasler will, so we'll go ahead and let you. <laughs> right, right. It, it won't It won't be nearly as long. Actually, uh, I think Brian Weasler is going to be part of the two-part episode. <laughs> but um, uh, there, was, there was a fellow on the Coco mailing list, and I apologize. I don't remember the fellow's name at this very moment, but uh, he had put out a post. You know, I got some extras. I'm just going to give them away for just the cost of postage, and I saw a couple things on there that I wanted to get. I got. Um, I already had the cartridge for color cubes, but now I have the manual. Ah, I had gotten nice. The, I had gotten the uh, um, uh, cartridge, I believe, at uh, the uh, video game store after Tandy Assembly 2018. And uh, but not only did I get that, and it, you know this nice nice manual here for you know a Rubik's cube that I'll probably never solve, but it's, it's cool to have the manual. But it also came with. Um, it also had the overlay. Oh wow. For the uh, Coco One, uh, Coco One uh, type keyboard, but so I thought that was that was really cool, and uh, and uh, and finally um, another another cartridge that I had but didn't have the manual for. I think it was probably around the same time I got it. Uh, 
Bridge Tutor. Oh. So I guess if I want to build a bridge, <laughs> now you know this, how. This will work out great. And it was just, you know, I just was the he just said oh, just the cost of postage. So that was really cool. And uh, so this just uh, completes a little more of my collection. Ah. Uh. And that's it. That was that's that's just like a blink of the eye as far as uh, the the other ones go. Okay, that's so it. Tom Eric Gunderson is saying, "How do you get on the Coco mailing list?" It is an email thing. What is it? Maltedmedia.com? I believe Dennis so. Dennis Bathroy Kit. So we can we can we can put the link in chat here in a moment. Yeah, somebody will find it and put it in chat. Para.net. Para. Yeah, yeah, we'll get that out in chat for you. Okay. And then um, that is one of the plethora of different ways you can communicate with people uh, in the Coco community. Uh, very, very cool. Thank you, Jason Reichert. I know we have Brian Weiser. Does anybody else have anything else they want to show and tell this week? Alan Murphy is raising his hands very politely. Yeah, just a short thing. I got a shipment from the Cylon Homeworld. My Mega Mini MPI has arrived. And so I'm now adding a Mega Mini MPI sound driver to, uh, and there'll be some example code for that here shortly. Oh. Very cool. Uh, Sixy mentions he just acquired a 128K Dragon as of just before the show started. Oh, very cool. And it looks like we just posted the link to get to the Coco mailing list. Thank you for doing that. Uh, who else besides Brian Weasler? I do. <laughs> do have a... I do. Oh, yeah. All right. Okay, Sloopy. Hang on, Sloopy. I'm going to spotlight you. Go ahead. All right. As you know, last week I got a um, Coco SDC, and um, I got it without cartridge. So I went looking at uh, different cartridges and uh, decided to uh, get one. Well... Instead of uh, an actual specific cartridge, I got this instead. <laughs> I think that's called overkill. <laughs> yeah, I don't I'm think shot. it's going to fit I'm in there shot. very well, especially with that thing moving around. Yeah. No. No. But, but you can uh, print your own, though, can't you? Is that a a, a printer? Yes, Nick. Yeah. Well, he did get a cartridge then. He just yeah. has to well, print yeah, it. Yeah. I'm, I'm just I'm just making a silly joke as usual, Nick. Uh, so, some assembly required. Yeah, yeah I, I, uh, that looks like a strange shape for a cartridge that yeah. you're making there. Hey, I got to keep uh, the little lady happy, so. Um, but yeah, I there's was, pills uh, for that. <laughs> that's, that's not a Steelers logo. <laughs> yeah, give it time. But uh, yeah, I uh, I got th I got that, and then um, I also uh, got a box in the mail, and. It showed up uh -oh. look, looking like this. Chocolates? Yummy. Okay. It looks a little warped and a little lumpy. And very heavily taped. Yes. It um Yeah, I got it on eBay auction and uh the person said, Oh, I've got the perfect box and I'll pack it great. And <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, hmm. Perfect box for what? Well, <laughs> not for whatever's in there, I think. Uh, nope. But what was in there is... Is that what we're looking at now? Right this, here. The Coco, that's the Coco 2. nice Coco 2. And in addition to that... Uh, let's see here. 
Give me one second. Time's up. I also got these with it. Oh, nice. Getting oh. started. Oh, CCR 81 operations yeah. manual. Those things are very complicated to operate, so I'm glad they did give us manuals. Yeah. Well, it's just, <laughs> especially it's that, just the manual. Yeah. Especially that tricky play button. You got to yeah. really watch out for that yeah. one. Yeah. I always had a hard time figuring out that you couldn't just press record to record. The whole fact you had to press play and record always tripped me up. So, uh, yeah. So, <laughs> but yep, that was my uh, acquisitions for this week. And um, that's it. Okay. I have. Thank you for sharing. I've uh, got some project update BS. Yeah. So. I ah. just need to, uh, yeah, because I was buying this one hoping that it was a two ROM uh, model of uh, Coco 2. And nope, it's not. <laughs> okay. Nick uh, Morentes, go ahead. You yep. want to update us? Um, okay. Well, uh, let's see. I might. Uh, as as uh, everyone knows, I'm well. I'm working on that new game, but also as a side project because I tend to do that. I'm also working on the MP3 um, cartridge with uh, Jim Brain, which I, I'll just turn my camera on so I can hopefully show something. So uh, if this thing comes on, is my video come up yep, now? Your videos up. See your mouse. All right. So I'm see your hairy to... knuckles. That's it. Yep. I, I thought that's your screen name, right? Harry Knuckles. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. So that, that's it. So that's the uh, MP3 cartridge uh, that we're working on with Jim. Okay. Uh, and uh, as I mentioned in a previous episode, it has an MP. It plays MP3 files. It has a, a dual 8-bit DAC to do Orchestra 90. And also, it has 512K of flash memory as well. So the idea being is you could put a game into in, onto the cartridge uh, that could also use the MP3, uh, the Orchestra 90. So what I've been working on, my latest um, project, uh, well, part of, is um, writing the software to get the uh, flash memory working. So... Um, this this is the prototype board and the flash ram's not working on this at the moment but i do have a uh, one of jim brain's uh flash cards which is what this flash memory is based on so i have that plugged into my coco and i've written some software that allows you to manage manage the uh flash software okay so i'm just going to point the camera at the Coco, and I'll just make it quick. But basically, the software that uh, you run allows you to set whatever blocks in the Coco 3, which is uh, shown by this area in the middle, you highlight the blocks that your program uses, and you just go sort of, you know, toggle the blocks that your program needs to load, like so. You would enter the name of the the project of the of the ROM, so I just call this test, say, which is what it was, and um, you can put an exec address for that program, and then you select a position with the arrow up here. You select a position in the 512k of ROM where you want to uh, write your code. 
Now, originally when I wrote it, it was to, to you know to write one game into the ROM, but then I found that in most cases a program doesn't use an entire 512, so it's been modified so that it actually supports multiple ROMs. And in the uh, little graphic display at the top there, it shows you the different. Uh, the green area on that bar indicates a ROM that's not used. The red area is the parts that are used. So I've got two games in the ROM at the moment, and and uh, I can uh, I can uh, you know point with this program. I can point to it, read the file in. It'll uh, read in the data off the ROM chip, and it tells me it's Gunstar, it's exact address, and they're the blocks it uses. Um, and I can go to the other block, read that in, and uh, that's Popstar Pilot, and with its exec and the blocks it uses. So once you've you've um, set that up, you can then burn it, and it shows you on the graph. The idea of this program then is this is for managing or creating the ROMs on that MP3 card. Once you've done that, you would then, and I'll just go back and show you the boot program this is the program that will be on the um, ROM cartridge when it boots so when it boots it will automatically come up with a menu so a cartridge on its own no disk drive nothing just plug the cartridge in and it comes up with a cartridge menu and it scans the the flash ROM sees in this case Popstar Pilot, Gunstar, uh, and there's a utility for managing some of the memory as well. I haven't got that working. And you just basically press one, two, or it, it'll it'll handle up to, up to seven programs. So you can write up to seven pro programs depending on the size of the programs, of course. So pressing one, it brings it up and it loads it in from ROM. And wow. That is that was fast too. Well, it's coming off ROM now. Yeah, so instead it's, of it's off not the, loading. Yeah, yeah. So this is a, a programmable. <laughs> oh ROM, man! But it does have the MP3 in there, so Popstar Pilot doesn't support it, um, but Gunstar does. So so it would then play the game with MP3 playback, and uh, also it also plays it in stereo using yeah. the uh, the dual DACs. But that's that's what I've been working on. That is to get awesome. The, the software to um, to manage the flash ROM on that on the uh, on the flash uh, RAM card. That is neat. So hey Nick, if you need any help getting that Popstar updated, I'm personal friends with the author of that game. I can put you in touch with him. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, don't tell him I copied this. <laughs> now I did want to mention that the nice thing about the way Nick is setting this up and, and including the utilities and stuff that it will come with the card is that it doesn't have to be just his games. I'm though I'm sure he'd prefer oh, that. Do any games. Right. Yeah. So yeah, so any other author that wants to support the MP3 card with the Orc ninety DAX all built in and it muxes those together so it actually plays both simultaneously, which if you do external stuff doesn't currently do that. You can add in your own games on there or distribute games that can be just, you know, on disc that you can then run this loader and copy them into there. And put them onto this card, so you don't have to like buy a new card every time you want to. Yeah. Play. So, so what I was immediately thinking of while you were showing this, because I I had imagined something similar to this. This is desperately needed for Jim Brain's Coco Flash uh, cartridge, 
because well, that, that, that's what I'm using at the moment. It oh, runs on the Coco Flash. Oh, the Coco Flash that's got the eight megs worth of flash memory. Oh, sorry, no, that must be another card. No, sorry. <laughs> yeah, this is a half meg card. I think you're using. Okay, so the yeah, ori- the original one. the original Coco Flash has eight megs of flash memory. It's got an Orchestra ninety built on it. But the way you managed the banks was you had to run a program in Basic and convert things and then copy things and do a bunch of crap. And then you in the menu you had to write in Basic and rewrite it every single time. I had imagined that there's got to be some way that you could have like a firmware utility where you could manage the banks and 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 do stuff and then create a menu based on that um and so because that the uh, coco flash is a great uh thing but it's not easy to manage uh so if that's uh, and i know you've got uh things already on your plate to do but it seems like you've already started this process if you could eventually make a user-friendly way to flash to coco flash where we could put what we want on it and have it create a menu for us that would be a holy grail for that product because I, I love the idea of the Cocoa Flash. I don't want to deal with having to learn how to program to get stuff onto it, you know. Well, the, the, this program probably can be modified to do that. The program at the moment is set up to run on a Cocoa 3, so it talks about uh, it uses the Cocoa 3 memory blocks, hmm. but it wouldn't be too hard to do a Cocoa 1 and 2 version um, if, if we need it to be, yeah. Neat. Neat. That's really cool, though. But seeing seeing, seeing that run. Yeah, go ahead, Brian. Would that also uh, work with the uh, banks on the uh, Coco SDC? If you, uh, no, no, no. It's a separate. No, that's different. Okay. I, I was just curious whether or not uh, that software could have been incor- could incorporate that so that everything flows together if you've got multiple units there. So, okay. No, well, this, this, this one's got... Well, this one I'm working on is uh, about 512k of flash RAM. Right. Uh, the Coco SDC, I don't know how much that has, but I don't think it has that much. I think there's eight 8k banks or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 64k. I, I, I think we've also got a great look into Nick Morenti's uh, side side hustle of uh, hand modeling. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-huh. And you get to see it before I, b- before I shave. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't sure if that was maybe the name the name you were modeling under was Harry Knuckles or not. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, he'll be live streaming his uh, hand waxing later on. So. <laughs> <laughs> Rick Eulin, did you have something to show? Yeah, just a little bit. Um, let's see if I can take over the world here and jump down here um i'll start with my cool new monitor check it out Ooh. everything you need for camping you've got That's an area sun. light and you got a lantern to get you down the trail and a television so what more could you need <laughs> is that a walkie-talkie there too or is that just a uh... oh that's my tape recorder ah okay yeah he's just because, happy to see us because i have to run my that mangle pack thing just plug straight in because it's pretty much all the cocoa can take but the news is um, let's see, I, my project works, the stupid, uh, bodge together thing makes this thing actually work. And so I can, oh, as you have an ethernet card, this is the ethernet card. And I was just about to get disappointed. Then I remembered if I'm going to connect on telnet, I'm going to have to start telnet D on my raspberry Pi. So I did that and life is good. And would you believe here's our little deck B sending ARP requests on the ethernet. Oh my goodness. Like 10 lines of basic code. So what a sweet thing. So now I've just got to get all my boards respun and uh, 
Wireshark. I haven't used that program in a while, but that's a great packet sniffer, right? So uh, oh, it's it's great for letting you know if you're actually working or not. Yeah. And I I called myself Dell One Two Three because a lot of my old work scripts look for Dell machines, so it's just easier to yeah pretend yeah. to be a Dell. But uh, yeah, I'm Dell One Two Three, and I'm on the network now. I just need a Telnet client. That might take a. <laughs> you need to work together with Brett Gordon and, and Jay Cyril and uh, write a driver for their game too, so you can use it with your card. Right, right. Well, we're hoping to, to already get planning on it on here. Yeah, we've got uh, Mr. Overholzer over there uh, pulling away. So. Sounds like Mr. Overholzer is becoming Mr. Overachiever. Yeah, we're gonna have to <laughs> get him some energy drinks or something. Yeah, cool. So anyway, that's that's it for me, and supposedly I should be able to. Stop share somewhere. I got it for you. Okay. okay sure. All right, Brian Weasler. Um, we might have more people who want to show and tell, but we've we've postponed enough. Oh, this see, this is weird now. I have the ability to um, add more than one person to the spotlight. That's interesting. All right. So right now you are the sole spotlight, Brian Weasler. Very good. Um, you know, I got some uh, some cassettes here. It's a uh, dragon cassettes. And rather than flipping them all up there, I uh, made a little slideshow. And so I will uh, share this one. Will this slideshow have an intermission? <laughs> <laughs> possibly, possibly, possibly. Let's see here. And there we go. Is that coming through? Yes. Yeah. Okay. okay. So this is just going to slide through. It's going to take about four minutes. Um, it's just all the different cartridges. Calixto, I are, know. Are, yep. Yeah. So it's just going to slide through here. Music box. So these don't have the cool cover art yet. These are very generic. They're not terrible, uh, but I'm used to the fancy, pretty dragon cassettes. Your, pa your patience will pay off. Oh, <laughs> spoiler alert. Okay. <laughs> quest. So here's Quest. That's our bird. Number Gulper. Wow. Computer voice. Hide and seek. Personal finance. So is this stuff you've collected over time or this was one big order? One big lot. Final countdown. Great song. Triumph. Quest. <laughs> There, there is a couple duplicate uh, cassettes in the group. Quest. That one, the label typesetting was a little off. Yes. Mansion of Doom. Is the Mansion of Doom located inside the Forest of Doom by any chance? <laughs> Dragon Mountain. Shark Treasure. Know that game? That's a classic. Yeah. Did you buy this from someone in the UK or... <laughs> 60 uh, says don't get excited by num by number gulper <laughs> there's another quest but, yeah uh, uh to nick's question uh spain okay dragon mountain oh, spain, spain. Right. number gulper you got a lot of those number gulpers huh yep are you gonna be selling off the ones that are dupes madness yes. and the minotaur nice yes i will There's be one. shaft great movie um, we saw this one recently. Cuthbert Goes Walkabout by Microdeal. Okay, now we're switching brands. This is no longer Dragon Brand. Air Traffic Control, Microdeal. Shuttle, Microdeal. I think it's a Tom Mix one, if I remember. Yeah. 
Rainbow Writer, two copies of Rainbow Writer. Yeah, they were. I think they had some like, programs on them. Air Traffic yeah. Control Simulator for Dragon 32. Ooh. That was a Prickly Pear one originally, I think. Composer. The Dragon the Composer. The first four voice music editors. All right. Salamander Graphic Systems Maurice Minor. There's like uh, the, the action uh, cave uh, fighter. Yeah. Those are kind of grouped together. Peak Soft. Yeah, Tim loves, loves cricket. cricket. Huh? Dragon Software. That one's a little yeah, out of focus. A, yeah, they, the, my camera wasn't doing well there. Dragon. These these first two here, they have like 10 programs per cassette. Oh, that's nice. Caterpillar Attack. Free sample. Wow. Munching Crunching. Cosmic Crusader. Imagine. The game of... Cruiser, but yeah. Fearless Freddy. Let's see. Now we're getting into some artwork here. Yeah. Mind Out Dragon Games from Quicksilva. Bug Diver. I don't think I've seen that one. Yeah, I don't think I have either. Uh, Android Attack. Sixty's asking, did any of these come with inlays? Uh, com Dragon Computer Software. Can't quite tell what that is. It looks like some type of music. It's another music, music okay. one, yeah. Yep. All right, Dragon Software. This, is, this has another 10 games on 10 it. 10 games. Uh, I don't remember what multi, this is. So like a multi-tape, huh? Yeah. Pettigrew's Diary. Yeah. Sounds like an adventure game. Lionheart. Android uh, Attack. Uh, Talking Android Attack. 32K. Shooter. Okay. Dream Bug. Disassembler. Monitor Debugger. Ooh, wow. And it's really starts, starts over again. Nice. There, so. Yep. So, is this, is this, is this the uh, intermission where we all go to the lobby and get get yes. ourselves popcorn <laughs> and right. let's all go to the lobby? That's a neat haul. So, so you got all those in one uh, one one purchase? Yes. Yep. Yeah, they all came together as a, in, in in one box there. So yeah. And then uh, one other thing, I just wanted to share real quick here. Uh, I've been wanting to get the manual for this one. I have the cartridge, but uh, um, oops, sorry, I spotlighted there yet. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, Adam, the cartridge, but then yeah. I also wanted, I've, I've never had the manual, so I always thought the manual was kind of neat. Mm. So that was the main, the main thing there for that one. It was kind of, kind of a neat manual. I was like the front cover of that one. So, yeah, Adam. Chuck Allison has to go take care of Chuck. Uh, neat, neat. Nice little collection of cassettes there. Yeah. A and um, that is, you know, like you see those 10 and ones, when you think about it, the, the amount of space it takes up to sell it on a shelf or to ship it in the mail, you're going to, you, you know, the, the, the cost of, of one tape is the same. So if you can get a, a tape with uh, 10 games on it, then boom, that, there you go. There Rising you go. entertainment costs. There you um, go. I see you've, you've added an extra bookcase uh, in your room there because your collection is getting so oh. big. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do have an extra bookcase right here that is uh, steadily getting full, yes. Very cool. Um, does anybody else have anything they want to share? Updates, acquisitions, things to share? I'm Brian, do one on behalf of Ron Delvo since he wasn't able to make it today. Uh, well, Brian, Brian, the music man, was showing his name, show, waving his hand first. Okay, so, Brian, you go first. So um, we'll get that going. You're still muted. Now you're unmuted. Okay. Yeah, I'm unmuted. Yeah. No, I've just been uh, having uh, some. 
fun stuff going on in my brain and that and uh been getting back into ultra music and that and the sky boat song yeah my mom yeah huh what was that sheet music yeah it's sheet music yeah yeah my mom turned me on to the outlander series and it's actually used as uh um the theme song for the outlander series uh, tv series in that and um it's it's a an old scottish tune that uh i was looking for middies for the past couple years and all of a sudden in the past six months i all of a sudden see a bunch of sheet music now available for it so i pulled a couple different versions out put them and put one version in it was real basic i found uh that version i just showed which is uh for vocal for uh four part four part uh, vocal you know your soprano your alto tenor bass and that and i put uh fired up ultra muse which you see in the back here um and and put it in literally yesterday and uh it took me only like about an hour or so to put it in and all that and made me realize just how much I forgot about uh, playing with Ultramuse because it's been kind of sitting on the shelf, not doing a whole lot with it. And that, so if you want to hear it, yeah, let's hear it. Yeah, I think I got the level. It's an old enough tune. I don't think there will be any copyright strikes either because I think no, it's a traditional. No, it's, it's tune. an old Scottish tune. Although, you know, it's been used on TVs. So they might have re re-upped it, but okay, I think you can. It once if it's old enough, they can. Re-up it, yeah. so I think Tell it's... me if you can hear it okay. If it's too loud. It's fine. Okay. Yeah, it's too soft. <laughs> it's too well yeah, it go it uh meanders a little bit in volume. Yeah. I'm sorry, something is not right. That was not correct. Hmm. Can I demand a refund? <laughs> no. I think that's I a had, division had, by zero error. I had a wrong patch. Mm. Okay. Sounded kind of distant. Patch it up and then turn up the volume a little bit. Already Everybody. done. Okay. Make it so, number one. Is it playing now? Yeah. Let's turn it up. Make it louder. Is that better, or is it too loud? That's fine. No, that's good. This piece actually has eight voices going on. So this song is how long, and how long did it take you to mouse it in? It's uh, only a total of 48 measures. And it repeats once. Okay. So. And you said it only took you an hour to enter this in? Pretty much, yeah. It was, well, it's, there's not a whole lot of, uh, um, as you can kind of see, it, you know, the, the uh, notes are not real complicated. 
you see the staffs going up and down. It's just because it's, I've got two voices playing the same things, but using different instruments. And so that it get, broadens the, uh, the sound so that you actually have uh, a wider dynamic audio range to it so that it actually sounds more spread out and more detailed. That's pretty impressive to be able to enter that in in one, one hour. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, it's, you know, well, you know, I played with it a little bit, but it didn't take too long, that long, because it's real simple. I've, I've remembered the little tricks and hacks for entering stuff in. We're being so at Wings of a Dove. Um, I don't think I have that one. No, that's six. He was asking if this was that Wings of a Dove. What was this one called again, Brian? Uh, it's called the, uh, it's called the uh, Skyboat Song. Skyboat? Skyboat Song. Skyboat yes. Song. Um. Coming at you. Coming at you. Yeah, right there. Right, right there. Let me maximize you again. Hold on. Okay. Yeah. The the sky. S K Y E. The sky boat song yes, used in the Outlander yes, it, series. Exactly. Basically, the original uh, Scottish song was about the Bonnie Prince Prince Charles, who was trying to retake the uh, English and Scottish throne away from the Protestants uh, and move it back to. Uh, Catholic, and of course he failed in uh, 1746. Yeah, the, the Outlander TV series is kind of based on that premise as well. Oh yeah, yeah, back I, in I've read and... the books too. So yeah, my my mom got me into it, and it got me hooked. That's I cool. It. Cool. So anyway, well, that's a neat little that's project. All I got. The music. Well, ha- imagine that the Music Man's project this week involved music. How ironic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was expecting a Sprite library. But. Yeah, okay. Very cool. Thanks for sharing that with us, Brian. Much appreciated. Much appreciated. Is that, does anybody else have anything else they want to share? I have one to That's share right. on behalf of Ron Devil. Okay, so let's uh, let's spotlight L. Curtis Boyle. Okay, behalf. so Ron picked this up at Goodwill. Uh, literally, I think, on Thursday. And it, it's not Coco related, but it's an old game console. Con, kind oh, of wow. With that looks really cool. With joysticks. And it's, a, it's basically a Pong style game. But it's called the Unisonic Olympian 2600, and it came out in 1978. That is really cool looking. It's very and Star that's not Trek one I've looking. I've never heard of before. So. Yeah. Very Star Trek looking. That kind of has 2600 on it. That, that's that's yeah. funny. Olympian <laughs> 2600, right? Apparently, that was a popular number back in the day. Yeah. But he mentioned it had like free-floating joysticks, kind of like the Coco has. Yeah. And those blue buttons on the top of the main center part are to select which Pong-style game you want to play. A shooting game, hoops game, basket, or soccer, okay. or whatever, too. So, But it's basically like a fancy-up, you know, Telstar or Pong-style. That is really... And I think he said he got that at a thrift store or Goodwill or something like that? Goodwill. Goodwill. He has got the best Goodwill anywhere because he's always finding yes. something really cool. And it's like, dude, I don't see this stuff anywhere. No, I go there and I find like you know, like a, a pottery or something. Yeah, and, yeah, that is cool. Anyway, he, he wanted me to share that. He just uh, texted me this morning about that because he, he discovered he wasn't able to make the show. So. Ah, you know what I love yeah. about Ron? I mean, he, that is so cool. And and Ron Ron loves his dog Pearl and Ron loves his mom. He's a good guy. He's a good old American boy. And uh, and uh, he, a matter of fact, I love that uh, he was. Uh, thanking everybody for the birthday wishes that people sent Pearl on Facebook. Yeah, he posted a picture saying it's Pearl's birthday. And it's like, yeah, thank and you. Pearl says, thank, yeah, you. Pearl thank, says you thank you for all the wishes. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. 
Yeah, that thing looked very, very uh, 60s. I guess he was thinking, too, that looked kind of Star Trek-y. All right, so we'll take a break, and then we'll come back with Michael Furman's favorite part of the show, Snoozy Newsy, after these words. Uh, one more break. I think I'll do our block of uh, public service announcement stuff, if I can even find that one. Yeah, all right, so we'll be back after some public service announcements with News by L. Curtis Boyle. Hi, this is Eddie Zerbinski from beautiful Quebec City. Vous écoutez Coco Talk. As you're enjoying Coco Talk, we also want to remind you about the Coco Discord server. This is a place where people come to connect, to ask questions, to provide answers, to share information, and to socialize. So when you're done, why don't you head on over to the Coco Discord server and we'll continue the conversation there. The easy to remember link is discord.cocotalk.live. See you on Discord. Coco123 is the Glenside Color Computer Club community newsletter that's been in publication since 1985. While the Rainbow Magazine may be gone, it doesn't mean you still can't have a cool Coco periodical. Head on over to the Glenside Color Computer website at glensideccc.com and then click on the Documents link to view all the past issues of the Coco123 newsletter. Not only can you read all of the past and present issues, we'd also love to hear some submissions from you. So if you'd like to send an article, a column, something to talk about, maybe even a program listing, send an email to glensideccc at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. The Coco World Map is a cool community resource where you can view coconuts from around the world. Head on over to map.cocotalk.live and see where your fellow coconutians happen to be living on the planet Earth. If you would like to submit yourself to be on the Coco Map, send an email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live and we look forward to seeing you on the Coco Map. Hey guys, it's Stevie Stroh, and if you've been watching Coco Talk for a while, hopefully you understand that everyone is welcome to join this show. You don't need an impressive resume to get on. You just need to enjoy the Coco and be willing to talk about it. There is no wrong way to Coco. There is no wrong way to be a fan of the Coco. There's no wrong way to be on Coco Talk. You just have to want to talk Coco. So if you would like to join us, then reach out to us on our Discord server, which is discord.cocotalk.live, or send an email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live, and let's get you on the show, and let's talk about the Coco. Hi, I'm Tim, and you're watching Coco Talk Live. And I'm playing Daggereth online like that idiot from the book. Uh, can you can you dial back on the condescension there as you respond there? From around the world, what you need to know. Get caught up on news with El Curtis. And now a Muppet News Flash. Take it away, L. Curtis Boyle. Okay. I assume that is showing up. Yes. So TGB Chris, who I think was in chat earlier, don't know if he still is, <clears throat> but he did one of the most interesting projects I've seen for a while for OS9. He actually boots OS9 level 2 on his Coco 3 off cassette. <laughs> <laughs> I'll play a little bit of it. Hey everyone, welcome back to the 
channel. Thanks How's the uh, volume? I think today we need to spend some time with you can go up a little bit. Too, don't you? So let's get that booted up. <laughs> he's got his... <laughs> in his floppy holder, he's got the cassette. Oh, I love the music. The bossa nova. bit about the project and this video. So this idea wasn't mine. Uh, it actually came from someone whose name I forget, I'm sorry, um, on the Facebook Color Computer Group asking whether it was possible to boot OS 9 from a cassette. And I read that post and thought, gee, that sounds like something that's right up my alley. It's like he's got a copy of Gunstar there on the side of the monitor, too. Wasting lots yep. of time to do stupid parlor tricks on He's doing OS 9 Gunstar, obviously has taste. Oh. <laughs> Why not stick with that tradition and do it again? Here we are. Product placement. Watching OS 9 boot from a tape. So, <laughs> I thought it was a neat idea. I had already done the OS 9 level 2 and ROM project last year, and made the video about that. So I figured that this would be right up my alley. Um, I did use the OS 9 level 2 ROM kit as the basis for this, but I did have to write my own custom OS 9 boot module. And, um, as you'll see, I also had to write a little bit of custom assembly code to align everything in RAM to make this thing kind of work. And that was because I had intended to use multi-part binary files to do this, and I could not find any utility that would write a working WAV file from a multi-part binary. I did have a version of this that I was testing on disk images that load in, would load into memory and run, but for some reason it would not work on a cassette. So I ended up having to make one big contiguous file that I could see load as one block, and that is what I'm doing here. While we're waiting for this to load, this is my first color computer video since last August. I apologize for that. It's not for a lack of love of the platform. I'll, I'll just mention, I'm just going to play up until he gets it up and running. Then he has a whole, the end of the video is all a technical explanation of how he did everything. I won't play all that. You guys can, you know, catch that on your own time. But I'd be interesting to see, because you're kind of getting a real time of how long this takes to load the OSM yeah. kernel from cassette. I had a David Ladd can fix that. a cache of projects <laughs> built up for the Model 12 and a few for the Model 4. Hey, kind of and those new turbo cassette loaders. That's and I finally got through that list of projects, and in the meantime, work and other commitments kind of took away from me. So I've actually been working on this video for and this project for about a month now. But that's pretty MPI nice. unplugged. Nothing it's up my sleeve. Yeah, um, I ran into a fair number of problems too. But anyway, this is a two-minute and fifty-second second load process for this that I've probably pretty much killed with my jabbering. So once this is done, we will execute this and watch OS 9 start. You'll notice uh, the, there's nothing connected here. The multi-pack is not connected. There's no other trickery going on here. Certainly wouldn't want to subject you to three minutes of me talking and watching a flashing F just to have it be faked out by like a serial cable or loading through telepathy or whatever. Yeah, it could be one of those Wi-Fi kits like Sloopy has. Yeah, but drive wireless. Which, by the way, Sloopy, reminder. While this is finishing up, right I'm up. putting the code up for this on. Um, in the back nine of this, I'm going to talk about gotcha. a little bit of what I did and how I did it, but we're not going to go into the levels of detail I'm used to. I don't know that um, anyone really cares for that level. Of so I've started enabling comments for my YouTube videos. We'll see how this goes. It's a trial basis, but I have been pretty lucky thus far. And now that we are done loading, boom. let's EXEC. Well. See, we're booting OS 9. 
And there we are, Shell OS 9. And if I take a look at my modules here, I've got myself the usual bit of modules. ROM info is actually an artifact of the fact that I did use the OS 9 level 2 ROM kit, but it's actually unnecessary and its code goes unexecuted. So I could have taken it out. Uh, but everything else, I have my RAM drive driver and everything else like that. So here I have an 8K RAM disk. I also have, you can see this is level 2, it's not only from the copyright notice. Man, put a camera on me and I can't friggin' type. Okay. 440K, I can, I can display stuff, and I can even write a file out, although I don't actually have a way to read the file back because I didn't include the list module. But hey, look at that. We do have a working copy of OS 9. Farts. So that is it. It's running from cassette. There's no other stuff dunning. Now, of course, OS 9 can't access the cassette. It can't read or write from the thing. So. There's not much you can do here, but there it is. That's OS 9 from cassette. Oh, let's push the stop button here. So it... Anyway, that was a pretty interesting project no, actually to is. get that to work. And it gives opportunity for anybody that has a Kogu 3 but doesn't have a disk drive and doesn't have an SDC. You could theoretically take his boot system here and then insert like a game like, say, Rescue and Fractal, which is something, and actually have it load off cassette and actually run. Wow. And then you put the high-speed tape loader technology that, yes. da that David's excited about. Um, yeah, because I mean, this is running at stock speed. He said it took just under three minutes. To <laughs> Mr. Dave says, OS 9 on cassette. Do two wrongs make a right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just surprised Nick Randy didn't come up with that first. But, <laughs> but yeah, it has some opportunities with that fast load. I mean, the, the regular fast load off the analog cassette could run at four times the speed. So that would be cut this down to like, you know, 45 seconds to load. Yeah. And because he has the RAM disk driver, if you pre-set up the descriptor for it, you can make a RAM disk, you know, the size of a full-blown floppy or a double-sided floppy or something like that in the 512K machines. You can actually do a fair bit. That's pretty cool. That is a neat. Yeah. Great I, exercise. I've never used myself, and, yeah. but it's, it's, a, it's a cool concept. It's a great exercise and hold my beer, right? Somebody says, can that be done? Hold my beer, right? And here it is. So, yeah. uh, cool. As he mentioned, it's based on the ROM, ROMable OS 9 project that I think Boise had done way, way back when he did the Coyota project back in the 90s. So kind of based on that. Um, OS 9 was designed to be ROMable in the first place. In fact, that's used as a, you know, when it's used in a microcontroller environment, that's usually what it's right. ran as. It's an so. embedded system. Yeah. That's I, want to, I, want to, I want to see OS 9 loaded from punch cards. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, <clears throat> the latest one here, um, Simon put up a video, and he's also got the download for both the disk image for this, and he's also got the download for the source code in the uh, Facebook group. So there's three different links that, are, that can get posted. I'm only going to show the video. I'm not going to show the links to the other ones. But it's basically just doing, it was a, a competition going uh, called the Love Byte Size Coding Contest. <clears throat> and it was to do some, you know, wacky demo or something like that that has to fit in 256 bytes of code or less, which is what this is. This is like the assembly is. language version of a 10-liner or something, huh? This one, as he mentions here, came out to 237 bytes. And... Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, not bad for 237 bytes. Yeah, pretty smooth. <laughs> anyway, it just repeats that same pattern. Like I said, it was for the contest. I didn't hear if the results had come out yet, if he won an award or something for doing that. 
He should win an award. It's a Next major up, award. Uh, yeah. Roger Voss posted this rather interesting question in the uh, Coco group on Facebook. And he says, do people that love the Coco computers love it because of its uncharacteristically very cool Motorola 6 and 9 8-bit CPU with some 16-bit instructions because it was one of the most advanced 8-bit CPUs ever? Or do they just love it because, say, it's their first computer? And then he's got 75 comments so far on, on you know, people. And a lot of it's, you know, people, it's both. You know, they bought it because it was like their first computer and it was cheap and cheaper yeah. than anything else at the time. And then they grew to love it because of the 6809, et cetera. And then some other people, you know, mentioned certain games and stuff. So I thought it'd be something to throw at the panel here if you, if you haven't participated in the actual online version of it here. Any thoughts around the table as to what got you into it? I got mine to help me pick up girls. Wow, did you ever pick up <laughs> How's that working for you? <laughs> you sure you're like married? To, would you like to come back to my house and take a look at my cocoa? It's got a sophisticated <laughs> processor. <laughs> you have any marshmallows for that cocoa? Uh, and cassette tape. I know in my case, what, what, what got me to get it is I've been fiddling with the pet and then the Apple II Plus at school. And I wanted to get either one of those because that's what I'd used, but uh, the prices were astronomical, especially on the Apple II Plus. And then I went to Radio Shack, and of course they let all the kids play on the computer as much as they want. Yeah, yeah. And they left the manual out, and I got to see that the basic, extended basic in particular on the Coco, was so much better than either any of the other ones I'd ever seen that 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 was my selling point. That's what I decided for. I had no idea about six eight zero nine or anything. Just like yeah. drugs, give them a free sample. Yeah, yeah. I didn't I had no idea what, what processors were. But um, yeah. well, the the basics what sold me though I, I mentioned it here like it did you know some other things too but that was the one that initially made me choose the Coco. Same here I I had a ZX eighty one and that basic wasn't bad then I had a TI and that sucked and then uh, I was looking for something with a good basic and Coco had Microsoft Extended Basic which was top of the tree at the time and then you know fell into the whole CPU and then Nitrous and. Never used basic again, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the same as me. I kind of stumbled onto the CPU in, in OS nine slash Nitrous nine later on, and uh, yeah, it was it was like just an accidental. You kept going and finding out there's more and more power to it. Yeah. Than, than you originally thought. Yeah, I think part of it was just, um, you know, the the local Radio Shack was on the corner strip mall that you walked by all the time so like the the grocery store there was called public so like anytime you need to go to the grocery store you walked right by radio shack and i was always intrigued with radio shack because it had electronics and stereos and speakers and stuff and so i'd been hanging out at radio shack since the model one the black and white trs80 came out and so i always thought well computers are neat and the, the fact that they didn't say go away kid right so they let you loiter basically so yeah. then you kind of adopted an appreciation for the machine and possibly a loyalty to radio shack and the brand because oh, these are these are nice guys who are letting me this snot-nosed kid hang out and you know punch on the keyboard of a 500 or thousand dollar machine and they're not telling me to go away you know um so i think you i think at some point in time you develop a loyalty and then um i wanted a color computer and they also had a layaway program so i as soon as i was old enough to get a job which was 14 i started working and saving money and i put my color computer on layaway and they held it for me and they held on to everything and i don't remember how long it took because i think i was making like 30 dollars a week before expenses but i was eventually able to get that 500 dollars computer 
and because the store manager liked me and let me play on the Coco and stuff like that, I just felt very loyal to the machine, and that was my first computer. It was my first love. But I didn't buy it because of the processor. I wouldn't have known what a processor was. I wouldn't have known a good one from a bad one. It had color. It could play games. It had text adventures. It had you know, arcade-style games that had anything I could have wanted at that time at 14 years old, you know. And it was affordable. It was, a, it was reasonably affordable. Yeah, I mean, it took me a while to, to save up for it, but uh, I had never considered buying an Apple or an Atari because they would have been twice the amount of money to buy. Yeah, so the or fact that I could, Yeah, so the fact I could get a computer and bring it home for about 500 bucks was a, a low financial barrier to entry. Yeah, and the fact that it was also hooked up to a TV, which I mean, some of the others, you know, yeah. kind of recommended comms and monitors, which I couldn't afford that either. So now I wanted to ask Nick Morendi, since he's still on the call, hopefully still awake. Um, <clears throat> I know in Canada and the U.S., basically the Radio Shacks all let kids come in and hammer on the computers as much as they wanted to, which actually proved the ruggedness of the Coco as well. And I was wondering, was that the same thing that Tandy did in Australia, or was it more like the traditional computer stores where they'd have to sit there and watch you and you know, if you started, you know, playing the game too long, they would just boot you off or sometimes they wouldn't even let you at home at all. No, it was the same. And uh, I was one of those uh, kids who uh, rock up in Tandy stores and spend the, you know, two, three hours after school at. So, yeah. And that, that was a good marketing ploy because uh, people, the public, would see this little kid in front of the computer and they probably thought, oh, yeah, I want my son to, to be a brainiac like that kid. But... Right. So they, you know, let's well, obviously computer. they didn't see you then, right? <laughs> no, that's right. Little did hey, they listen. They're actually destroying their kids. <laughs> yeah, Nick. Nick is on the cover of a book now, Curtis. Show some respect. All right. So, <laughs> no, to be honest, his his game design is on the cover, not yeah. Nick. Well, <laughs> I was going to say there's a reason there. So there's a metal plate on the bottom of these keyboards. Yeah. Well, you know, as much as we're sitting here complaining about how the chiclet keyboard sucks, we've seen many uh, cases today alone of the of the templates that went over the keyboards. And so as much as the keys might have sucked, the fact that you could put that template on there um, and color code things was a neat feature that would only apply to that first generation keyboard because there is no way to template a uh you know a modern or a bigger keyboard right because the keys yeah. are just i mean the, the pcs like word perfect have had templates but it was just for the function keys it wasn't for the whole yeah keyboard. yeah so the one right. like like jason was showing with the color the color cubes thing that was that's really cool and that's a kind of a signature thing that um to have that 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 template that went with the keyboard is, is a kind of a value added thing i i think yeah also, we have a comment from uh, Daddy Burrito on YouTube saying, gosh, there's, that's something I forgot about Radio Shack. They were always kind, professional, hardworking people, and they never asked anybody to leave the store. And they're the people that actually told me about the Coco Club and put me in touch with the members. And that actually happened to me, too. Because mm. um, I, I went and I, I've mentioned this story before. I saw Astro Blast. Somebody had loaded on and left the store type thing. It was a third-party app. And I was like, holy cow, Artifact Colors, what is that? And I actually talked to the manager at the time. I think his name was Morris. And he actually mentioned the guy's name and he got us in touch with each other within a couple of weeks. And we started the club, the local club for the Coco based on that meeting. So, yeah, they helped form our club. Yeah, I, I met a guy at Radio Shack and it became kind of like my first mentor. He was older than me, um, but he also loved computers and stuff. And so and this is just a sign of the times too. like meeting a, a stranger, an adult stranger as a kid. Nowadays seems frightening, right? Oh, hey, dad, yep. guess who I met today? Some 
30-something-year-old person I met at the, the electronics store. Yeah, really? Well, let me call the police, right? So, But <laughs> this was a guy who became a really good friend and a mentor, and we developed a lot of stuff together. Like He would do graphics, and I would write some of the code for demos, and, we, and he got me a job. He um, got me into the college that I went to and, and got me one of my first jobs working on computers out of college. So, um, you know, so it could be some interesting success stories. Um, uh, the friends you might meet there, like you mentioned, you know, being turned on to a local club or something. But I think the, 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 the world was different. The times were different. And I think the vibe of Radio Shack was more user groupy, you know, because yeah. the people that came to Radio Shack were either into electronics or were into something that was a shared collective thing that was kind of like, you know, you're already a member of a club if you went to Radio Shack. You know, yeah. so we're all in this kind of, you know, global club in some sense. And so um, you were just treated differently, I think. Totally agree. And then the same thing happened to me. I mean, the person that I met that we ended up forming the club between three of us, which is Dwayne Downing, myself and Dick Powell's the older fellow. I think he was in his early 40s at the time we met and I was in high school. Um, yeah, we, we formed the club then. It was the same thing. Like it was he was just a guy who was really into electronics. He was a hardware expert out of us. Like Dwayne and I were the programming style. You know, from doing it at school on the apples and the pets, and then we got the cocoa itself. But uh, right. he was the guy that would—he did all of our RAM upgrades, and you know, on my old D board, he had to take the motherboard out and cut traces, and you know, just to get it to run with 32K. So yeah, it was uh, the same situation you had. Uh, Chris Corin oh. says hi from Belgium. Hey, Chris. Oh, yeah. you said he did the hardware. We knew you weren't soldering anything. Yeah. Oh, but, you know, and so when you think about, like, I think a lot of us have had this story, like it, the, the the color computer or candy or Radio Shack, whatever, it kind of made us the people we are today. What I, I, I can say this with some level of certainty, but you can't go back into the past to prove the theory. But had I gotten an Apple or an Atari or a Commodore, um, I would not have been as interested in programming because I don't think the basic language would have empowered me as much. So part of what kept my interest was how empowering Microsoft Basic was, Color Basic and Extended Color Basic, the more the, the stuff you could do with it. So you felt mm -hmm. like you were damn near invincible. That I could anything I could imagine, I could make. Um, and so that held my interest. The games did too, but if I had an Atari or an Apple or Commodore, I don't think the Basic would have held me. So it would have ended up becoming just a video game system. And yes, I would have loved the games, but would I have gotten into a career and wanting to become a computer? Because I originally thought. I was going to become a programmer and little, you know, saw how well that worked out. But I thought, you know, because I could program in basic, I felt, well, shoot, man, now I'm ready to go to college and learn about assembly language and make really good games. And, and that's what, that was my plan. But I wanted to become a computer programmer because I had an interest in programming. I don't think the other eight bits would have made me as interested and I might not have wanted to pursue the computer career path. And I might be a completely different person today because of that. If I had bought a different system that had better games but a shittier version of basic whoops i just cursed i was already warned about cursing on the show sorry um but you know what i mean so that's just my thinking about what could have been if i bought a different machine yeah i have to agree with that too i mean um the coco i eventually did get into a language of course but uh you know at that time i didn't even know what that was never mind right but the right. fact that the basic was enough to make a graphical game pretty easy to program for it i mean you know the speed would be the only thing you had to worry about your creativity was the only other limit right right right. that really did help and i mean i did try like i tried the apple 2 plus when we first got it because all of a sudden i got high-res graphics and i can change the color and i can draw lines and that's about it and then i went to the coco and there's like curve circle and paint and get yeah. buffers and all this stuff and then i went back to try that in the apple and none of it worked no 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 yeah any other comments from anybody else before we go on the next story? 
Okie dokie. Good, good, yeah, good, good topic to chew on there. Okay, I'm not going to play all the videos here. And actually, they just posted the fifth episode during the show. But the Coco Crew with Mike Rowan doing this in particular is uh, doing a series called Retro Printing for Fun and Profit. The Fun and Profit is kind of a tongue-in-cheek thing. It's basically how to get some of the older printers. <laughs> from, <laughs> work, yeah. How they work on how the much, Coco. How much can I make off of printing on this thing? <laughs> <laughs> but basically, they're going through and they set up a Raspberry Pi to be kind of a go-between so that you can have the cocoa print to printers wirelessly. You can also have your PCs use these old printers and older computers linked through it and type of thing. And it's a five-part series. So uh, I'll just mention what the parts are here. And uh, I'll just show you like a screenshot from the videos here because they're all, you know, 10, 20 minutes long. So, and like I said, they're up to part five already. That's the first one good. here is just goes through the DMP 130, which is pictured here. Uh, how to hook it up to the Coco, how there's the 2C connector on the Coco works and how it originally talked to it. And then part two goes into setting up a Raspberry Pi. Now he actually goes into how to set up the Pi itself in, in part two. Uh, basically to get Linux installed on it, etc. Part three and part four, he goes into installing cups, which is the uh, common Unix, Unix uh, printing, printing system. system. Yeah. yeah, also used by Mac OS X. Mm -hmm. uh, and then part five, they just posted, and I, I just saw the link, you know, the flash on my screen here, so I don't even know what it's about yet at this point, but I think it's actually getting into the actual setting it up to print. So he goes through here, and he goes, in this first episode, he kind of goes through the, the printer itself, um, you know, how to replace ribbons, etc. Really old school. And part two. Hi, I'm Mike Rowland. I'll just play a little bit. Welcome to part two of Retro Printing for Fun and Profit. Sharing <laughs> new and old printers with new and old computers. I love the idea here. <laughs> fun and profit. profit. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if they're actually going to get to the profit part, honestly. You can just select which image you want from a drop down, and it will automatically grab it across uh, the internet. I mean, he goes into quite a bit so of extensive detail nice. on, on That's you know, cool. how to set it all up, you know, right from scratch. If you've never done any of this stuff before, uh -huh. I'm Mike Rowling. He goes through it all. So Welcome I'm not going to play them all because, like I said, that would take like an hour by itself. That's so cool. That's cool. Now, next up, um, Boise, also from the Coco Crew. So he's got a, a website now divided, devoted to his new Ghidorah project, which he's actually working with Jim on doing the hardware Jim Brain of Retro Innovations. So we've kind of talked about this before, but he's actually got a website dedicated to it. So you can get some details on it. He's also got some of his other projects he's done in the past and uh, is currently working on as well. So I wanted to show that the fact that he's got a separate web page for it. We've also got a Discord channel devoted to it too. So join the Coco Discord to get involved with that. It's been pretty active. But the other thing he's added in recently too here, <clears throat> which he calls Ghidorah, Tickle the Dragon's Tail. Um, this is actually, he's a site that's being served by a Raspberry Pi 0W that is connected to a cluster of Coco 3s using the Ghidorah cable at his place. You can actually log in and, and send stuff to the Cocos that his system is running and linked up to live. Which can, I'll, I'll leave it up as an exercise to the user unless you guys want me to send something. Can but, you uh, see what comes back? I should be able to do a read. Yep, so you can see some people have here sent messages like, hi, boys. Okay, hi, boys. And you can switch to a different node if you want to. Hello, Coco World. Okay. Boo to Oz. Okay. But this is literally live Cocos on the network. Yeah. That you that, can talk to using the Ghidorah thing. That's interesting. So I thought that was a really innovative way of showing off what it's capable yeah, of doing. Yeah, because you don't need you a don't live need a, on yeah. the web demo. It's got a Coco cluster. How many people can say they've got a Coco cluster <laughs> connected <laughs> yeah. to the internet right now? 
Yeah, I mean, Kogo clusters we did have with the Network 2 controllers from Tandy back in the day, which yeah. were cassette-based networks, but uh, not not on the net. Yeah. <clears throat> I would like to see this even expanded later on to, say, have a BBS running on the Coco hooked up that you could actually log in and like play some online games, send messages to each other, that kind of thing. That'd be cool. That's pretty neat. I'm all for that. I was going to ask, uh, Mark, are you, are the guys, like you're kind of helping with, with Jay and, and Brett with doing this, this networking game here. Is this yeah. something else you guys are considering using? Oh, uh, yeah, might. It depends upon the speed. This type of network is like almost like token ring where it has to pass from system to system to system, so it's a ring. So mm -hmm. it only really work if you're like in the same room. I mean, I guess it could be done through drive wire networking interface, but that would require a whole other level of networking. But yeah, something like that could be done, you know, the type of thing like this. And again, you know, the the uh, the Galaxy server and stuff has got loadable drivers. So, you know, any sort of network interface could be adapted to work with it. Okay, but speed would be your main concern with the token ring style. Probably, power. and also dependency upon all the nodes being there because there's... Uh, right, and... Unlike, unlike real token ring where if a system goes down, the, the card passes the token on. Uh, <laughs> anyway... Yeah, I can't remember if his does that or not. I haven't actually. No, because each, each node has to each node has to be active in order to pass the token on because it's not a, okay. There's no so hard one goes down the middle that basically shuts off any contact Sets past that point. Yep, and it's uh, only single direction because each output from the server port goes to the input of the next one. Okay. Now there is an opportunity as well because um, Boise and Jim Brain have been working on a hub for Gitara that you can plug a bunch of cocos in with individual mm, drive wire cables to this hub. Right, star configuration. Yeah. It does have the ability to turn on and off individual ports. And they were talking about some future version that could automatically turn on and off. Like an auto sensing, okay. Yeah, uh, and, and so there, there is a, a very early prototype hub that has been uh, proofed out and Jim and Boise are messing with it. So uh, that's cool. We're in that space this year, but this would be an awesome, awesome Cocoa Fest demo tool. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. <clears throat> Agreed. You can put all your cocos on the table, have a pie with Gitara or a cocoa uh, under the table that is your control station, and remotely trigger stuff on and off to all the other cocos. Yeah, uh, Matt's asking what a Gitterer cable. It's just a serial cable. It plugs into the serial port, so it would be a what five or six pin DIN cable. Yeah, would have and to plug there, into this. There's information on how the cable works uh, on Boise's uh, site and in the earlier versions of the video, where he actually shows how the cable itself is constructed. Okay. Yeah, and if you have any direct questions for anybody that is working on Ghidorah, along with Boise here and Jim, uh, we have a dedicated channel on Discord for the Ghidorah project as well that they're very active on. So join the Cocoa Discord and, and join that channel, and you can actually ask questions of the authors themselves if you have any. Man, so many things going on in the world of Cocoa. And keep up with the GitHub releases that Boise does because he's constantly patching the Python parts, adding new little tricks and stuff. Okay. Fabian's uh, the guy week. who's working on the uh, Cocopedia too, right? Uh, yeah, Fabian yeah. is, yeah. yeah. So basically what he's posted about here is that he recently fixed his Cocoa 3. Now, I won't play these videos and stuff here because that's his original post from a couple months ago when it was not functioning. So he's got it working now. So then he posted the question, how did you get started soldering, hacking, upgrading your Cocoa? So it's kind of like the hardware version of the previous question survey they took, you know, where we're, you know why did you get into the Cocoa in the first place? 
this is like, why, why did you, and what got you into actually experimenting with hardware? Now, obviously it's a bit more of a limited audience. I don't do hardware. Fixing the ribbon cable to the keyboard. <laughs> There's an answer for you. <laughs> but I know we have some hardware people on, on the on the call here, like Rick Yulin, for example. So what got you into the hardware side of things? Was it something you were previously interested in and then you decided just to carry it on the Coco or did the Coco get you interested in the first place? I got started in hardware because of those red P-Box kits that you could buy for your lunch money at Radio Shack. So instead of lunch money, I would build one transistor shortwave radios and stuff like that. And uh, so, yeah, I was I was in the Radio Shack before the Cocoa was even a thing. Okay. So you basically would starve yourself to, to feed your nerd needs. Exactly so, you know. <laughs> What was the week I needed a roll of solder because then I couldn't eat at all. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and here I was, I was just using the battery of the month club. That's my extent of hardware. That I <laughs> anyway, he's, he's been taking some responses just like that other poll we talked about here. So if you want to chime in with your, your reasons for getting the hardware, it'd be kind of interesting to get a cross section of people to see why they did that. Uh, next up, speaking of uh, like Simon's little demo there about a you know very small program, Doug Maston of uh, Contra's fame, who's just gotten back into the Cocoa the last few years here, has actually put in uh, the uh, ZX0, uh, which is a protocol for doing compression decompression very fast in a very small memory footprint, you know, like a zipper and LZH or LZH or whatever. And this is the uh, one that was based on another project by a guy named, and I have no idea how to pronounce this, Einar Sockus or something, which is originally written for the Z80 processor. And basically this will very quickly decompress and the actual decompressor on the Coco, and he's got three versions. He's got a 6809 version, he's got a 6309 version, he's got a 6309 turbo version. The turbo version's faster, but it's unrolling loops, so it's a longer one. But this thing will, you know, basically do the equivalent of a Lempel Zip Huffman compression or something along that line. And the code itself compiles down to the 6809 decompressor program is 95 bytes. Wow. The 639 version is only 75 bytes, and the Turbo 639 version is 126 bytes. And apparently, it's it's quite a bit faster than a lot of others that are this small. Um, and there's some you know charts and stuff here, but I don't know what some of the other compressors because they're listed by algorithm name instead of actual program, so I can't really compare. But if you need to do compressed assets, say for a game, if you want to fit it onto a single floppy image of 153k but you want like digitized sound samples and you want a bunch of sprite data and everything else. And it's just going to take too much. You could compress it using this other guy's compression utilities for, you know, modern operating systems to compress the data down, save it to a Cocoa disc image or a real Cocoa disc. And then you can put this little bit into your program and decompress it on the fly. I mean, uh, Sockmaster kind of used that technique in the Donkey Kong to fit the entire Donkey Kong transcode because it decompresses data, you know, when it initializes up. And this is basically what this does. It does it quite quickly and it takes almost no memory out of your program whatsoever. So it's something I might want to fiddle with a little bit later. I might even see if I can port it to OS 9 because this is currently set up for Disk Basic. Uh, but at that small size, I mean, yeah, you could probably do some pretty pretty cool things. And this would actually would be a good tie-in to TJB Chris's OS 9 from Cassette because you could actually have that entire kernel that he's loading compressed using this. And then the cassette program would load the compressed version with a little program to uncompress it. And you might be able to cut the tape load time pretty drastically down with that. Combine that with some of the turbo tape stuff that David Ladd and others have been experimenting with. Maybe you can load OS 9 off cassette just as fast as a Commodore can load Zaxxon. <laughs> <laughs> 
Anyway, I thought it was a pretty interesting project, and I hadn't heard of that particular one, but I definitely want to fiddle with it. Go ahead. Or faster. You know, we're talking about Commodore. <laughs> right? I love it when the 6502 guys fight against each other. Yeah, Curtis is selling the popcorn there. <laughs> yeah. Okay, this one here is on the Motorola 6809-639-6800, a semi-language programming group on Facebook, which I, I don't know if a lot of us are on that. But uh, it was kind of a tribute to the 6809 being used in the music industry. And I know Daniel O'Connor has actually uh, demonstrated the Fairlight. And the, the original Fairlight 1, the very first one, actually ran off the 6800. And then the Fairlight 2 was off the 6809. In fact, they used to have like up to 10 of them at once, controlling different things. But uh, here be dragons. I'm not sure exactly that is. It might be Dennis Kitts. I can't tell by the photo, but kind of looks like him. Six Nine is an old place in music history, and they mentioned the fact that there are two of the most often synths of all time: the Fairlight, which we discussed before, and the PBG. Both use six eight zero nines in them. So I mean, there's a, there's a pretty good you know musical trail of, of the six eight zero nine being used in advanced synthesizers back in the day, and the later Fairlights afterwards used the six eight thousand. I think it was as the main controller, but all the little individual boards were six eight zero nine controlled too. So it just shows that, you know, when people had to pick a powerful CPU, going back to why did you pick the Coco, the 6809 is a big part of that because it was, you know, the chip of the day. Not the cheapest, though. Okay, <clears throat> next up after that. Now, this is something that uh, Stevie was wanting to make sure we discuss this here because we have the Glenside monthly meeting, and I finally made it to one of these in the first time in months. Uh, where we're discussing stuff about uh, possibly having an, um, a new mascot. This was brought up by Boise Pete. Now, everybody it's familiar with Rainbow Magazine knows about the Coco Cat, which was actually, it was sold as a stuffed doll. There was a person that would wear the actual cat suit at Rainbow Fest, and it was meant for younger kids. You used to get your picture taken with, with them. And uh, there's talk about maybe trying to come up with a new mascot, because the Coco Cat might still be under copyright for whoever owns the false soft uh, IP at this time. I'm coming up another one that they wanted to be a quick, you know, two word thing, Coco, whatever, and probably starting with a CRK to kind of have the right flow. And maybe picking like an animal spirit animal type thing. And that was kind of discussed uh, a little bit there. And I know there's been some suggestions from a few people, but they want to get some public input. You know, what would you like? And then they'll try to, I, th I think Stevie, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think they wanted to try to pick a fairly common animal that there is right. So there's a there's a costume you can find that you can get over the shelf, right? We don't want to have to build like somebody suggested have the actual cocoa, like you would have an extended basic book, but that would be like you'd have to build that costume, right? So if it's a costume that's a common costume you can just buy, um, you know, online or off the shelf, then you know, so you pick 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 an animal that you know a costume for that animal exists, but the, the idea is this is give Coco Fest a mascot when I, and I I, th I love the idea I thought it was a I think it was a cool idea um, so you could get a ratatouille costume and be Coco rat Coco rat <laughs> could be so um, we'll see we'll see if this is gonna hold water but I thought it was a cool idea um, you know Coco Dino right yeah, I like the Dino Wars but um, but we're looking for uh, ideally it would be it would flow where the animal has a one syllable thing too so like coco cat was a perfect example of that um like i had suggested if we got like an alligator or a crocodile costume we could call it Cro C coco dial you know um but uh coco so rex for Co a dinosaur? yeah coco rex yeah, so Brian you, Weezer suggested that one. Yeah, you kind of want the phonetics and the in the the syllables to kind of flow like pop 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 
you know, like a three. Like, so the whole thing should be three syllables, you know. Like Coco Kangaroo. Uh, to me, yeah, they could, but there's more syllables there. But yeah, Coco Roo. Coco Roo. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but so. I have to. Go, okay, ahead. go ahead. No, you go ahead. Okay, I was gonna say I actually like the idea at first when I heard it, I was kind of like what? Like none of us fifty year olds are really gonna be you know dealing with. You know, walking animal figures like at Disneyland, but then I thought you know some people are starting to bring their kids out to the event. Yeah. Yeah. And that is something that might encourage families to come out or, or, you know, spouses that don't really want to go attend a computer show. If it's, you know, a bit more kid friendly, it might actually encourage some people to come out that normally wouldn't. So this might actually help expand the number of people that show up for Coco Fest. So then I started rethinking, oh, actually, this is a good idea. Coco Ninja Turtle. <laughs> uh, Boise has quite a list uh, towards the bottom of the posting. Yeah, and he sent out an email, too, with some of that. So. Oh, oh did he? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. Coco, yes. Okay, so Coco Carp, Coco Catfish, Coco Crow, Coco Camel, Coco Crane, Coco Crab, Coco Crappie, Coco Cougar, Coco Coyote, Coco Collie, Coco Croc, Coco Chipmunk, Coco Canary. So he was hoping for a K sound too, so like Coco Cat. But um, yeah, so it'd be interesting to see what people suggest. Coco Koi is what <laughs> Mr. Dave is saying. Huh? Coco Croc is what Jaff is saying. So yeah, Coco Croc. Yeah. When I hear when I hear carp, I think of the old WKRP episode where they had someone dress up like a giant carp. Yeah. <laughs> so that might mean there's a costume that already exists for the carp then. Right. So yeah, good ideas. Uh, so it's now it's uh, you know pick a so I not only is you got to pick one that's a name, but let's say okay, we all decided that coco crab was the best animal but what if all the crab costumes sucked right so you kind of <laughs> want to find a good name and an awesome looking costume too so um the great i think it's a great idea i think it's to just add a little flavor add a little pizzazz to hopefully the in-person coco fest that we're going to have this year in november um so hopefully more to come on that as as we start to pick out what the animal and costume is going to be um yeah and and stevie you pointed out something good too um you probably want to get somebody that's not super active in the Coco side of things to yeah. do this because you have the problem if you're dressed up all the time that you're not going to be able to attend. Yeah, yeah. So if, if you're if you're going to spend the money to buy the costume, then hire a uh, hire somebody to wear the costume. Just like you can you know you can hire a clown for a party, you can hire somebody to dress up like a Power Ranger for a party. So you just hire one of those people who do those costume performances for events and just give them that costume. Um, that way, no, no, nobody has to take away their fest time to, you know, to handle that responsibility. All our good friends that hire a carp. Right. Or, you know, somebody might have a kid or something. You know, you might have a teenage kid that can do it. You know, just pay your kid 50 bucks to dress up like the whatever the hell it is for the weekend or something. But, you know, I, I know I, I would not want to be stuck in a costume and not be able to just to hang out that weekend, you know. Yeah, I mean, they do that a lot, like here in the streets, you know, in front of a restaurant, they'll have somebody dressed up as some piece of food or something like that with a big placard, you know, <laughs> and come in for the special burgers price today or whatever it is. Uh, yes. So, anyways. And then the second part of the Glenside meeting that we wanted to bring up today <clears throat> is because now that we're delaying Coco Fest until November, so that basically we have enough vaccinations done that people can actually attend properly including internationally, because I know in Canada, we're a bit behind you guys in the States as far as vaccinations go. November looks pretty safe, but you know April was definitely out of the question. Um, 
is should we have in a virtual event that actually is an official Glenside event? And there was some talk about doing another virtual fest, but then it kind of, I think Stevie, you brought it up and I kind of agree, you know, having two virtual fests within six months of each other is probably completely overkill. And uh, that way we should have like a, an actual, like a club meeting or a club, you know, come and go or something like that virtually through Zoom where people can just pop in and, and talk and stuff. So uh, Jim is trying to make some suggestions about that and, and what we've done. Did, anything you want to add to that, Stevie? Because I know you were fairly active in that discussion. Well, so they, so yeah, Glenside historically has not done a lot of officially sanctioned virtual events just because they have not been in the practice of doing it, but they have done a few recently. So we there was a Glenside social that was not too long ago, and then there was the uh, Glenside virtual picnic. So they are opening up to the idea of doing it. And, and so and the, one of the reasons why um, uh, we're making sure this is official is because when we did the virtual Cocoa Fest last year, it wasn't an official Cocoa Fest like Glenside. Not that they're, you know, disavowing it, but they didn't sanction it. It wasn't put on by the club. We did it as a community service. So this is something that Glenside is doing. So it's a, we, want to, we want to be distinction here that this is a Glenside event. This is not a Coco Talk event. This is not a Coco Crew event. It's not associated with a particular group of broadcasters. It's, this is the Glenside Color Computer Club, which is a global you know, community. And um, in the last one that we did, I thought it was nice because um, the, we, you saw some different faces. You didn't see the same 12 people that show up on our show. All the time there were different yeah. people you got to see some of the folks from glenside that we don't talk to all the time and you got to like uh david craker i don't think has ever been on our show but he he joined that you know he plays in the game on challenge and stuff so it was just neat to see different people so this would be uh, a virtual uh like a glenside meetup so just another happy hour social event that we're um that we're going to do and um probably in april when, yeah, when, it sounds when, like probably the end of April, I'm guessing, because they want to have one more club meeting to kind of straighten things out. Is that did I read that accurately? Um, say that again. I, I thought it was kind of discussed during the meeting that it would probably be near the end of April because there's one more meeting. Glenside meeting yeah, in yeah, I April. guess so. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it'd probably be like the the, the weekend of the 23rd or something like that. It might be want to be. So if we need to hash out any more details, but yeah, I'll plug that in the newsletter as well that's going to be going out uh, probably next week um, just to see if we can get some interest in it and yep. um but I, I think it'd be nice to do just another opportunity to get together and have people talk yeah and also to promote the glenside color computer club too and you know we can give updates on whatever's going on with coco fest updates and yeah promote the club yeah i think the club um you know they're they're definitely getting better in adopting technology and social media but historically have not been the best at self-promotion so the more that we can get the word out for that, the glenside folks and let people know who they are and what glenside is all about i think that's just better all around you know yeah agreed so so anyway if you have any suggestions uh you know or, or just want to mention that yeah you would like to to attend this when it goes on uh hit up uh, jim brain's post on the uh yeah on the group or something no, it's on the glenside Color computer club Right. I, I think, unfortunately, there are some people who feel like because there are different shows that exist, they need to choose a side or choose a camp. And this is a completely different camp. And this is not either of those camps. So if you felt like I don't want to be on one show or be with one party because it might offend the other party, which, by the way, we would not be offended. 
But um, this is not, you don't have to worry about it. I have to choose a side or choose a camp or choose who I'm loyal or disloyal to. This is just a, an event that you can come to and have fun and hopefully have fun. It's not about, you know, what camp you uh, subscribe to. It's just about supporting Glenside and doing something uh, community related for, you know, supporting the Cocoa Hobby. Yeah, I just viewed it as a big virtual, you know, meet and greet. You know, we get yeah. people from all over the world and, and people that have not been on, you know, on either show or any of the three shows for that matter. Yep. Um, and just, you know, kind of get to know some of your fellow cocoa, coconuts. Absolutely. Goodwill towards I, men and women. And yeah, I, I made a choice. Did you? I, I, cocoa. The cocoa. I choose the cocoa. There you go. Boom. Yep, there you go. Mr. Coco. Mr. Coco. It's Coco Man talking there, so yeah. <laughs> okay, this next uh, story here, it's not really a story. It was a request that came to me in the email directly uh, from a guy named Aaron Ishmael. And he's looking for information on two Coco titles that were for the education that Radio Shack actually sold. And they were part of a series called History and Technology. And these were fairly expensive. And from what I can gather from reading the ad copy, which I'll show you right now, because I just really didn't click on it yet. And why are you not loading this? It's Safari on a Mac. That's yeah, your problem. Mac. <laughs> okay, let me just uh, grab it here. So this is from the 1985 uh, Radio Shack catalog, and it's highlighted in the white, or the yellow highlighter here. So basically, history of technology. These packages describe major technological achievements through graphics, sound effects, and recorded speech. So I'm guessing these were on cassettes and mm. actually used the audio on, motor on thing to do this. And there was cheap. two that are mentioned for the color computer here. There's the pioneers in technology, and there's inventions that changed our lives. Now, these were 95 bucks US, so it's wow. not a cheap package to get. And I have never even, I've, I've looked at Radio Shack catalogs less. I somehow I missed this completely. I didn't realize these were Cocoa ones because I think I saw the very top part, you know, under the header there is mentioning Model 3. So I probably just spaced over it. Does anybody on the panel here have these or has ever seen these in action before? Brian Weasler, perhaps? Now give Brian 20 minutes. He'll find them. Because <laughs> <Right? laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd never realized this was a no, Cocoa thing and no. I've never seen them. Yeah, that would have been an expensive package, you know, 100 bucks for something. I couldn't even imagine. Yeah, I know imagine. each package is divided into four lessons. It's programs with graphics and sound plus the audio cassette, you know, recorded speech portion of them. So it's a fairly extensive. It's more yeah. like the Color Computer Learning Lab or something. Okay. And It'd each of them nice. have four lessons. So I'm, I'm not sure. I've never seen these. Go ahead, Ron. To see the package, what the package looks like. Don't have a clue. I wonder if it comes in like the folder with the sunset, you know? Oh, yeah, like the binder. Well, might have. Like I said, I've never actually seen the, this package. I have no idea what it looks like. And the guy that is trying to research this, he can't find any well, shot or anything on the web if, of it either. If Brian Weasler discovers these things exist, he will eventually have them. <laughs> but, Brian, you've never seen them then, I take it? No, I have not. Sorry. Add okay. that to your list. Add it to your search criteria for when you hunt things down. <laughs> like them down. series numbers on you sure, you sure, Brian? They're not right sitting right next to your Ag Vision. <laughs> <laughs> now, the one thing I am wondering, because this did not happen often, but it did happen occasionally. Last Ninja is a good example of this, where Radio Shack promised a product, advertised it, and then it got yanked for whatever reason. I'm wondering if the reason nobody's ever seen these is maybe they never did get released; they were just announced. I have a question too. Like in Pioneers in Technology, it says uh, History of Computers. They would probably only include Radio Shack, right? 
<laughs> uh, no, I think they would have went back to right back to the 1940s with the mainframe. Yeah, stuff, like possibly. The, yeah, etc. I'm guessing. I really don't know. Yeah, I can't imagine them being biased in that respect. Um, <laughs> that's interesting. So send send a copy of that to Brian so he can start to look up the catalog the catalog numbers because I'm sure he'll he'll put his. Uh, I think he's already writing them down. Sleuth, down there, he'll so. put his sleuth skills to work on these. Anyway, if anybody watching this after the fact, like after the, we're live, but you know, catches it on the podcast, if you have any information on this at all, or better yet, if you actually have this or have seen it in real life, please uh, email us at uh, yeah. give us an email address, Stevie. Uh, Coco Talk at Coco Talk dot live. This would be great I would like to, to archive get more information on this as well. I yeah. have never heard of it. If this could be archived and digitized, that would be great. Exactly. Know? Yeah. We've gotten some other rare stuff put on the Alcala Computer Archive now, but this this is obviously even more rare than that because nobody's ever heard of it before. Yeah. Don't put it okay, on next... eBay because if it's rare on eBay, it's going to go for a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, well, I was going for 95 bucks brand new back in the day. Yeah. So just imagine what it goes for now. So the package above it has nothing to do with it? This one? High, high Motivation History Yeah, that's series. Model 3. Okay, basically. Oh. With, with the Model 3 price, two ninety nine. <laughs> Yet the Model 3 went on the bottom the next four years electing the president was only 1995, so. <laughs> All right. Okay, now we get into a little bit of MC10 news. MC10. So Robert Sieg, we've, we've covered before, he's, had, he's been writing this conversion program that will take a 24-bit color, 16 million color um, BMP file made on a PC or Mac or whatever. And convert it to the 128 by 96 by 4 color MC10 palette. And uh, we've shown them before. In the original basic version he did, it took four to six hours to process one image. And then he got it later by doing grayscale calculations only down to 60 minutes. And then he's kind of does a little bit of an update here where he's actually got it sped up now to do 42 minutes. And he thinks he can shave another three minutes, getting him down to around 39. And this is still all in basic. So now he's talking about at the end as an update that he's going to try to do some stuff with assembly language to see how much he can speed it up. Wow. So then you can create some graphical assets on your PC and then directly you know, import them on, on the MC10 itself. Do you guys so, know if you can double the clock on a MC10? Uh, I don't know. There's no SAM, right? Yeah, the SAM handled the clock, clock rates. I know there's no high-speed poke for it, so probably not. Probably not, yeah. Unless you change the clock crystal or something like that, if it's even driven by one, as far as the CPU speed. Or you could try Greg Dion's compiler. Yeah, that's right. I mean, Jim Gary's been using it and getting two to four or five times speed increases on his stuff, so that's a possibility. Would, would Ed know? No, Ed. Probably not, because there's no SAM. Yeah, because the SAM had the poke for the CPU speed on ROM and RAM, and that's what's unique to the SAM, so yeah, you might be right. And then a second one um, is Jim McClellan posted that he got his TP10 thermal printer working. And uh, he was trying to find, you know, paper of that narrow size to find, and he couldn't. So then he ended up going to Goodwill and found some fax paper for two bucks. <laughs> uh, so they had another Goodwill there. <clears throat> and instead of trying to slice the roll, I rolled out four meters of it onto open space in my living room where I have a plank flooring with straight line down the seams of the tile, marked each end. <sighs> taped it down on both sides and then cut it down with a single razor all the way down worked like a champ and he actually shows a picture of it printing based on that fax paper yeah down, so hopefully he won't have slivers in his bare feet 
I just find it weirdly coincidental we have both a Coco entire video series on running the old line printers, and now we've got an MC10 story as well yeah. running on a thermal printer. So it's, it's printer week this week on Coco Tech. Next up, we switch to the Dragon. So David S. Gisbert, who actually is the same person that did that poll about your favorite Dragon game back in the day, okay. uh, mentioned that he got his Dragon 200 MMC card and then he's also got a Atari adapter. So I thought I'd show these pictures here because the Dragon 200 is a bit more rare. That's the uh, European Dragon, if I remember Karen, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, which basically is a Dragon with just with a you know, the different label. And a Power Light, I don't think was on the stack, stock Dragon either. And this is his Atari adapter. So he's got a dual Atari stick adapter for playing games on it. And this is the MMC. Now, this is kind of the Dragon native european version of the sdc though there are some differences it does have the sd card type thing and emulates a disk drive, but it also emulates cassette so you can actually load in cassette files etc as well and i think it even allows you to do certain save states doesn't it if I remember correctly i'm not sure plus that's a real-time clock mm. but here's here's one of the menu systems on you can see these are loading cassette files so and then the dragon of course was much more cassette centric than the coco was because disk drives were so expensive in the uk at the time these drives were a bit of a rarity, so it's nice that it has all that built-in support. Uh, ben Drake says, yes, it does support um, save states. And Tom Eric is saying that was the Spanish-made Dragon that we're looking at okay. there. Yeah. That was a Euro hard, I think, after Dragon Data folded moved to Spain. But it, it's nice to see what the software on the MMC looks like and then the fact that it has all these extra features, too, that the SDC currently does not have, so... And another Dragon story here. Uh, Matt K has been working, and I think we covered a week or two ago that there were some labels made that weren't quite perfect, and somebody got it there, you know, a hissy fit over type thing. So Matt's been working on doing exact replica vinyl stickers, and he's actually got some for order. You have to order them in a pair just because, you know, the manufacturing just makes more sense. You have to pretty well make them two at a time anyway. So five pounds a pair. Not bad. And they look more like the original paper sticker than my metal plate ones, but the metal ones feel and look plusher. So it depends. Do you want accuracy to the time period? Or do you want something that looks nice by modern standards? And he does mention in the comments layer here too, and here's a zoom up of it, that he's actually got a Dragon 64 order going on as well. So if you have a Dragon 64 and you want to get a replacement label because yours is damaged, uh, this is a nice way to get it. It's a beauty. And just comparing one of the old, uh, you know, bit more yellowed versions to the current brand new, fresh, spanking new. And this last one was uh, kind of mentioned in the comments in a Facebook post in the Dragon Group, but I thought I'd mention it here. Because the Dragon was so cassette-centric and because, just like the Coco, when you switch from cassette to disc, some of the memory got allocated for disc stuff which meant some stuff that ran in cassette originally does not run properly or crashes on, on a disk drive system. And we had a program called Disk Detach. We had another program called ROML, which is more meant for ROM packs, but it also helped with this, where we'd like map out the ROMs. and Yeah, I had one off. called Disk to Tape and Tape to Disk and stuff like that, yeah. Yeah. So basically this top one here, Detach DOS, is a quick little basic program that when you fire it up and you hit reset, it actually detaches the disk ROM and, and reassigns the RAM, the, the disk drive, software uses on the ROM back to regular basic. So you could then run cassette-based programs 
that normally would just crash and overwrite the disk stuff and cause all kinds of weird stuff to happen to work. And like I said, we did have one in Rainbow called Disk Detch, I think it was called. It was basically that did something similar. And there was a commercial package called ROML that did that as well. Hmm. Oh, so this is actually unloading it from RAM, yes. even though it's still plugged in. Yes. Yeah, I think the ones that I had actually just moved the programs to a different spot of RAM and resaved them. So if you needed to load a, if you needed to convert a cassette-based program to disk, it would load it and offset the memory and save it, and vice versa if you need to take a disk program and put it on cassette. Um, so this is a little bit different. This is kind of just resetting your memory like the device is not there. And basically, this, this served a twofold purpose. One was for compatibility, because like I said, some of the cassette programs would crash. I mean, the yeah. early days of the Cocoa when the drive came out, that was happening constantly. I, I do remember that. You, you did load the cassette version with the disk drive, and it would just hang. Um, but the other reason is, too, is that you don't want to keep wearing the contacts, especially considering, well, I don't know if the Dragon used tin contacts like the early disk controllers on the Cocoa did, but they were cheap, and you know, constantly plugging and unplugging them eventually wears them out somewhat. This way, you don't have to do that. You just run this program, then you could load a cassette program from cassette, and it would just run fine. So, and that is the end of the news this week. Okay, very cool. So I did one. I, one other plug I should mention: um, the Coco Show with Boat and Aaron is doing some recording tonight. I don't know if they've quite started yet, but they're doing a uh, three shows they're recording tonight for release later on in April, I think. Um, they're doing the Spectrum show. They're doing their Ask Amigos, which is kind of an Ask Me Anything. Where you, if you're on the Discord, you can just submit random questions of whatever subject you want. They'll answer, usually humorously. And they're also doing the Coco show with Rescue on Fractalus. So ah. if you want to catch that live on Twitch later tonight. Which would also be appearing on our Coco Talk Twitch channel because we uh, host them. Yeah. So, okay. Roundovo, welcome to the program. We, um, Curtis showed off your acquisition of that uh, super cool Pong game that looked like a Star Trek oh, yeah. device. Did, yeah. Did you see what was written below about and, uh, showing the processor and all? Oh, no, I didn't do that. Sorry. <clears throat> That's on my, um, yeah, on my wall of my, uh, personal thing. It, it had, um, other, uh, games that are using the same chip and showed the chip. Do you want to see it? Yeah, sure. It's not Coco, though. Doesn't matter. It's retro. Um, if I share the screen, I don't have the... Well, I can do it. Takes a second. So Pearl enjoyed all her birthday wishes, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Big Pearl bash. <laughs> Is the right screen up? Uh, we don't, I only see you so far. Oh. Okay, well... I don't know if I picked. Okay, let me drag this over. I don't see you sharing anything right now. Really? Yeah, we're just seeing you talk. Just you. The SDCX okay. splash screen behind you. There you go. Now, now, now something's coming up. All okay. Right. Sorry for being so yep. slow. I see a wallpaper, an Pretty NVIDIA cool logo. Yeah. Okay. There okay. We go. Then I'll go to the, uh, and then my my computer's much faster now since I got a different one. Here it is. There it now, is. Under it. Let's see. Okay. Five more comments. Okay. So people found it interesting. Uh, where is it? Click that view. Yeah. So yeah, okay. Facebook's getting really irritating is. with the way they're doing their stupid commenting. Stuff. That's the processor. Geez, you can't see it. It's so small. Well, what is it? It's a. Um, 
Oh, there's also a video that a guy did. Here's the processor. It's a, um, uh, it's on the Coleco, the Sears Hockey Pong, ah. Radio Shack TV scoreboard, Unisonic Sportsman Tournament, Philips Telegame ES2203. So good. Playotronic. Yeah. Uh, all these different ones here. And that's the layout of the, the, um, okay. Yep. I can't tell you the name. It's a multi-purpose like uh, Pong oh, processor. <laughs> exactly. It, it yeah. says AY on the picture there, so it's most likely a general instrument slash microchip. And this is AY actually five hundred. Yeah, that's the unit that I bought there. Yeah. It doesn't have a power supply. Okay. Uh, and, but it's all there, and it's in fairly good shape. That's neat. And uh, one, one thing, Ron, we were commenting there is that you have a very different Goodwill than apparently yeah. anywhere else in the states <laughs> yeah <laughs> well you know uh they're somewhat affluent here and so um you get all kinds of uh interesting drop-offs over at that little goodwill and th that's one of them this is the box for it but i, I didn't get a box you can so barely you say see you're that. going to the goodwill in the ritzy part of town basically yep that's neat it's a a y s eight five five o taiwan Okay. Pretty neat. There, there's also a video this guy came up with. Um, see if I can show it. There's the box he got, and he and he shows the uh, actual screen. If I can go through it here quick. Is it color? Yes. And he shows the but what the buttons are for. Let's see if I can make this taller here. This one. There you go. See something there. blue. No signal. That's a good. Okay. There. there we go. So there's your pong screen. Yeah. And then uh, you know it makes the paddles fatter or smaller so that you can cheat. You get different options. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Very <laughs> variations. Yeah. And different color. Orange. Yeah. And uh, I guess all those buttons that go across each one's a game, and they're pretty crude. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's a neat Set system. 1978. It's pretty one neat. I never heard of before, actually. Yeah, me neither. I saw the thing and I thought, "What is this?" You know, <laughs> it's pretty neat. It's. I like the pinball ball joysticks. That's... I gotta yeah. find. I gotta find the. Um, somebody told me to look up on. Uh, um, eBay, uh, the Unisonic, um, you know, Walmart, whatever. What the heck's blinking? Okay. No, no. Uh, All right. Cool. Here, leave. Well, Let's see. No. We're glad you could join Take us. Take me off. Yeah, yeah, I did. Okay, good. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna get we're gonna roll the outro. But before I do that, anybody have any final thoughts? And Steve Bjork, I'm glad you were able to join us today. It's been a while. It's good to see you. Gotta fly. All right, Brian, the music man. All right, well, yep, think, yep. Th think about your final thoughts while I run the outro, and then you've got a few minutes to compose those thoughts, and then, uh, and then we're going to press the button, Frank.
This concludes another episode of Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things Coco Talk, visit us on the web at cocotalk.live. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. Consider supporting the show with a purchase of merchandise from our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, click on the Patreon link on our website, cocotalk.live. Cocotalk would not exist without the community, its cast, crew, and contributors. Thanks go to Alan Murphy, Bill Noble, Brian Joyce, Brian Weasler, Curtis Boyle, D. Bruce Moore, Danny O'Connor, David Ladd, Eric Canales, Grant Levy, James Diffendaffer, Jason Reichert, Jim Brain, Ken Reichert, Mark Bosley, Mark Overholzer, Mikey Furman, Mr. Dave6309, Nick Morentes, Nick Marota, Nick Marota, Nick Marota, Paul Fiscarelli, Richard Lorbieski, Rick Adams, Rick Eulin, Rob Inman, Rondell Vole, Samuel Gimes, Sloopy Malibu, Steve Bjork, Terry Steggy, Tom C., and many more. Please help support the Coco community. A list of various contributors and resources are available at imacoconut.com. That's I-M-A-C-O-C-O-N-U-T dot com. The original Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2008 by D. Bruce Moore and Greg Sheeler. The new Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2020 by D. Bruce Moore. Both are mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. Coco forever, people! All right, that's it. We're about ready to put a fork in it, but before we do, final final thoughts. Well, and- I had uh, Cloud Nine fix two of my multi packs. Uh, I sent him to him. He looked at him. One was in need of nothing, and the other one, uh, the main chip uh, was blown on it, and he was able to replace it with a little daughter board thing that does the same function as this chip that you can't get anymore. Okay. And he also made it uh, compatible backward with uh, Coco 1 and 2 by mm-hmm. uh, using the switcher for um, 1 and 2 for uh, Coco 1 and 2 and 3 and 4 for Coco 3 and 4, or Coco 3. Anyway, um, he did it. He sent it back to me. It was reasonable. I appreciate it. Thank you, um, Mark Marlette. Mark Marlette. Very good. Yeah, and then uh, I've I've made six more groups, and we're going to go through them right now. <laughs> Coming up next, the Ron Delvo show. Yeah, yes. exactly. So that's it. All right. Anyone else? Final <laughs> a big, thoughts. Big big shout out for me to Jay Cyril for coming on and, and yes. demonstrating the, the absolutely. The Thank you, Jay. Uh, and also, Thank you, Jay. how to pronounce our Alcaron because I didn't have a clue how to pronounce it before. Was Alan going to say something? I thought I heard him talking. I don't know. Um, Rick, thank, have, thanks for your submission to the uh, newsletter. Newsletter's coming along very well. I'm already at oh. 40 pages with no filler, and we've got more to go, and we haven't even added the news to the newsletter. This is all articles. We've got like 40 pages of submissions. It's going to be a thick and juicy newsletter, hopefully ready for distribution next week. Rick Eulens, one of the... Submitters, we're going to have a regular Nitrous hey, 9 OS 9 column from Rick Eulen. And um, thank you. 
Thank you, Steve Bjork, Jason Reichert, Curtis Boyle, Mark Overholzer for posting the links, Sloopy Malibu for um, doing all the timestamps in the videos, and Ron Delvaux for everything, Rick Eulin, Brian Weezer, Nick Morentes, Alan Murphy, Steve Bjork, Jason Reichert, and myself. We thank you all. We're going to press the button, Frodo. Say goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. See you next week. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.